Listening to March Mad Men, the podcast that aims to answer the question what is the greatest horror movie ever made? Set up like a ghastly imitation of the NCAA basketball tournament, we are pairing films in a series of death matches to see which one reigns supreme in every subgenre of horror. I'm John Evans, and I'm joined as always by my co hosts. Vic Wheat and Rich Eckersley. Don't call him Rick, everybody. How you doing tonight, Rich? Thank you for not calling me Rick. Uh, I knew you were going to ask this question tonight, John, and I thought, how am I going to explain to John how I'm how I'm doing? And the thing that immediately popped into my head is that life is Buffalo Bill, and I am a screaming girl at the bottom of a well right now. <laughs> Wow. So is there a basket um, that's being lowered down to you periodically? No, there's not not even that kind of glimmer of hope happening at the moment. (laughs) No lotion even, huh? No lotion, no dog. I need to get that dog down here. (laughs) I think everyone is kind of going through, um, in some way, their own version of that. But two out of the three March Mad Men, uh, most recently Rich, have uh, moved during the coronavirus lockdown. So that that always adds a a degree of intrigue to it. How how is your move going, Rich? And I I guess it's finally done, eh? Yeah, for all intents and purposes, it's done. The fact that I've moved into a new place, it was certainly a real experience i'm sure everyone out there has gone through this and hopefully maybe by the time they hear this they'll feel like they're on the back side of it um but it was pretty weird uh i worked with movers who were wearing masks i mean it felt like i was moving homes in the middle of bird box like it was pretty surreal yeah, over the last three shows, this whole thing has progressed a lot, and you know we've we've kind of talked about it more and more. And uh, you know, to everyone listening, hopefully, uh, you know, some of you this is long in the in the rearview mirror for you, wishful thinking there. But yeah, we are right in the in the thick of what is this? A month of isolation and quarantine. Vic, how are you holding up? I, I know you're not doing that great because earlier today we were talking about how crazy this whole thing has been and how maybe our our sanity is fraying a bit at the edges. John, I think this is going to sum it up for you. Hang on here. Yeah, that's an Omegong three philosophers uh, clocking in at about 11% ABV. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty weird, John. I'm feeling pretty fucking weird, man. Um, I got to tell you, uh, having having been stuck in uh, in a house with two kids, uh, we do have a yard, but it's been fucking raining uh, almost nonstop for about the last two weeks. I got to tell you, as uh, as I was gearing up for this, I felt a really a weird kinship with Nicole Kidman in The Others. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that. You know, two days ago, while I was working, I watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And then I came out and I watched Shrek with the kids. And then I put the kids to bed and I watched 1408. That was a weird day. That was a really <laughs> weird day, I've got to say. I had some very strange dreams. We're, listen, we're hanging in there. Uh, I know this is hard on everybody, so I, I don't want to complain too much. But 
to be ensconced in the haunted house genre in the midst of a quarantine when you can't leave your house is a really unique experience. I will say that. I wonder, like, just because you bring it up, like, I hadn't thought of it, but if we were doing zombies, you know, which so many of them have to do with infection, that that might be the real bullseye within a bullseye, or maybe it would hit too close to home right now. I could go either way on that, because I do think, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about, and I hope to talk about more as we get into this, is the the concept of isolation in horror films in general, but in haunted house films in particular, because from a, just a creative standpoint, you're always trying to figure out how to keep people from just leaving the haunted house. And uh, I, I think I have an idea. I think a lot of screenwriters might be toying with that, uh, that notion right now. That's for yeah. sure. I know I have. Well, I'm happy to say that, yeah, my move being behind me, I am, this is the first podcast I've done in my official, I have an office. And on the plus side, um, on a happier note to everything else going on in the world, I have red bulbs and two lights, and I have all my horror memorabilia, including the Jason Voorhees hockey mask pick that you got me for my birthday, which is one of my favorite birthday gifts of all time. All of them on display. I have the Book of the Dead from Evil Dead. I have a, uh, a frame from Clash of the Titans of Medusa. I have an axe. I have like all kinds of um, action figures of Freddy and Pinhead and Jason and Candyman. And it's like this is this is the the environment that I want to do horror podcasts in. So that's a that is a happy thing. Of course, I do have my roommate, the, the bunny, who will go off and, and start, you know, uh, going to town on his water bottle like old times. So not everything is going to change. We'll have some tropes of the podcast. Well, I got to say, you know, my my wife, Emily, is a therapist. And uh, since she's been working from home and doing her sessions virtually via video in my office, uh, I am I've lost all of my uh, horror paraphernalia. All the posters from the movies that I wrote are in the garage. And it's actually much more disconcerting now. It feels uh, weird, therapeutic, serene. I don't I don't like it. Serenity is not what we're looking for on the March Mad Men podcast. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Uh, I'm glad we checked in because, yeah, it's certainly um, worth doing so at a time like this. But we have work to do, gentlemen, because this is the first, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the first elimination show of our season. And if uh, I, I urge everyone who's listening, if you have not listened to the selection show, the two-part selection show, where we threw out a bunch of movies and we came down with 32 nominees to be the greatest haunted house movie of all time, that's what we're working on uh, this season. Uh, I would recommend that you check that out before this, but we have death matches between 10 films and they are seated. So we have uh, like the heavy hitters going up against sort of the dark horse candidates, the wild cards, if you will, here. And we might not see a lot of upsets, but we're going to vote on each matchup. And we do have a little scorecard for each movie. We're going to debate it a little bit. We're going to see who advances in each pairing. And uh, we're going to whittle down from 32 to 22 tonight. So sounds like a good time. It might be a little shocking uh, how my knives come out. I have I have not shared some of my true feelings on some of these films, so I think uh, let's just say 
I'm going to shit on some movies tonight. It's going to get a little contentious. We should probably begin with the 800-pound undead gorilla in the room. The Shining is in our first matchup of the season, of the series, and of the night. Because it is the number one seed, the, the prohibitive favorite in our competition. And it is going up against a little movie called Haosu. It's a, a horror comedy, according to Wikipedia, and I think that's a fair uh, fair assessment. So it is the number 32 seed, so it's got to pull off a pretty improbable upset, uh, to put it lightly, to get past The Shining here. But hey, we're going to give it a fair shake, and uh, you know, because The Shining is, is the heavy favorite, we're going to talk a lot less about that tonight, and we're going to really put Haosu in the spotlight, because chances are, I don't want to, you know, get ahead of ourselves, but chances are we will not be talking about it much in the future. Let's go around the horn and do some scorecards here, and uh, this is our first time, so forgive us for any bumps in the road, but The Shining is first. Vic, do you want to kick us off? Uh, Go through your scorecard for The Shining. Okay, so... We're all going to be going off of the same sort of list of categories that we're going to be grading it on. It looks like we got nine total uh, for each movie. Uh, the first one is just the overall quality, and that for me with The Shining is a no-brainer. It's an A, almost an A plus. I don't know. It, uh, I wasn't quite sure how to how to gauge that. Maybe there's that one scene in the beginning when you can see the shadow of the helicopter uh, that's <laughs> taking a shot of them. Oh um, my God, Vic! I, I did, I, I deducted I deducted the plus uh, from from it for that <laughs> for the shadow of the helicopter. <laughs> for the shadow of the helicopter. That's Stanley uh, Kubrick, man. I expect him to pay attention to that shit. Okay. Uh, okay, Vic. I I, but, uh, I can't wait to get like in the course of the thirty years we're going to do this show. What your A plus is if The Shining doesn't get one? So okay. I'm, I'm sure there will be there will be one. So overall quality, I give it an A. Originality, I give it a B plus, just because. I mean, there is. I mean, you're not going to have a lot of of originality. I think, generally speaking, in this, this is a haunted inn movie. I mean, we actually have another Stephen King haunted inn movie that we're going to talk about tonight. You don't show up to the to The Shining for sheer originality. You want to see the craft that's on display uh, and the the skill and the actors and and everything else, which is all going to come up because the chill factor is definitely an A+. This is a movie that haunted me my entire childhood. The two little girls in the hallway is just one of the scariest images ever composed, never mind when they come up with the juxtaposition with them caught up with the axe and blood everywhere and everything that they that they cut back and forth between those two images. I mean, it's it's truly one of the scariest films ever. The Antagonist, I also give it an A because whatever it is that you're dealing with inside the hotel, it's almost madness personified. And some of my favorite scenes in the movie are Jack Nicholson's, Jack Torrance's interactions with the bartender Lloyd uh, with Grady, the the former caretaker slash waiter, whatever he is, that that where they're speaking for this thing, this entity, this place, whatever it is, that's really something that a I think you see imitated in 
Doctor Sleep to to a lesser effect. And and having watched Doctor Sleep again recently, uh, that really just reminded me how great they handled this in the in the writing and in the the execution. Quality of kills, I kind of give it a C. There's not really a lot of kills in it. You do just get the axe in the chest for Scatman Crothers, which is which is fine. The kills are not what you show up to The Shining for. Directing, obviously, it's an A+. Uh, Stanley Kubrick actually invented uh, filming techniques for this movie, and this, the sound design and, and everything in it is just top-notch. Same deal, the script is an A, uh, the acting is an A, and what is the one thing that leaps out at you specifically that speaks to you as a horror fan? And for me, it is the the wall decorations, the nudes above Scatman Crothers uh, and over his over his television. It's such a bizarre detail. It's in the it's in the 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 Simpsons in the Shinning. Uh, Willie has a uh, Willie has a a girl with a bagpipe over. Over his bed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm throwing in an extra A just for that little detail. I I love it. It's bizarre. It's late '70s, early '80s vibe. It's fantastic. So yeah, this is uh, this this probably has my highest score, uh, my high scores among all of the films, as you might expect. Frozen boobs, baby. <laughs> That's what yeah. that wall art is all about. As I said before on the podcast, this is not a movie that I have a super strong relationship with. It's something that I I respect more than I like deeply wish to go back to it. Here's the thing: is that you can't take away the just the level of respect in general that anyone, whether they're a fan of the genre or not, has for this movie. So it's like overall quality. It's a high quality. It's a high quality movie. I'm with Vic. I would give it an A. I would even go as far as to like give it an A plus, just in terms of how I remember how like pristine and controlled and, and well-paced it is. Originality, yes, on, on one hand, it is a story that we have heard before. I guess the thing that definitely sets it, dif- sets it apart from just being like the haunted inn, so to speak, is the way that the thing, the darkness that's sort of like threatening to envelop Jack in this movie is like coinciding with Jack's alcoholism and like his his actual like descent just brought on by being in the house in general. So I feel like that actually bumps up the originality of it just being, you know, sort of this this haunted place. Chill factor, sure, they're chilling images. They're 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 almost like it's like the scares in this movie, the little girls in the hallway and the blood coming out of the elevator, they're like the I have a dream speech of horror films. Like they just kind of get like trotted out every time you need something that's just representative of the genre. And it's like, I could go the rest of my life without seeing another shot of twin creepy girls paired together in a hallway somewhere. Like it's been parodied and maybe like that repetition and the way that's been brought out in the world is part of the reason why like I feel like this movie feels watered down to me, even if the actual experience of watching it isn't. I wish that it hadn't become such the boilerplate of 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 thrills. Quality of the kills uh, again. That's not where the strengths of this movie lie. Um, although the the freezing is pretty great at the end. Um, the antagonist. I mean, Jack makes for a great um, antagonist. Um, I agree with everything you said, Vic. But again, the like I said, the, the conflicts in his character make him a compelling you know antagonist. That is also your protagonist in the course of this film. Directing is is top-notch. I mean, who's going to argue with Stanley Kubrick? 
Although I watched uh, Doctor Strangelove last night and almost fell asleep again, which is also what happened the first time I watched it. So, so it's basically the, the Black Coat's daughter, then. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the Black Coat's daughter of Cold War parody. The script is actually, like, a tough one. Does anyone know if there were a lot of rewrites on the set? Like, I get the feeling that they, that this is a film that was happening kind of organically. I don't feel like this was a super tightly scripted film, even despite the fact that it was based on a book. They were doing rewrites throughout the production. I know the one of the stories I've heard is that in the middle of production, Stanley Kubrick called Stephen King in the middle of the night and, and woke him up to ask him if he believed in God. Because it's Stanley Kubrick, like, that sounds like bullshit to me. But eh, maybe I don't know. That's certainly if they were still writing it as they were doing it. That seems like uh, that seems like something he might have drummed up uh, after an eight ball of cocaine at three thirty in the morning. It spawned a lot of speculation and lore and like, you know, there was a there was a gorgeous uh, uh, BBC commercial. I don't know if anyone saw it that came out earlier this year. That was like this one take. It was you were it was you were seeing the point of view of Kubrick walking through the set of uh, The Shining, and that was like beautifully done, recreated. I don't know. It's just like there's a there's a lot about this movie that that sort of captured popular imagination. That's an interesting aspect of it. The acting, despite the fact that you know I find uh, Shelley Duvall like pretty obnoxious in it, she fits the bill, and uh, and and Jack Nicholson obviously and the kid are, are killing it. So um, overall, I mean, like, high marks to this movie. I don't have a problem with it. It just uh, doesn't emotionally reach me in that way. Rich, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but, like, what's one of these movies that, for you, like, that's in this competition that you're like, that's that's better than The Shining? Like, is there one? Because, like, you're you're very kind of lukewarm about The Shining, so... Uh, you know what what what's one of these movies that you're like when it comes down to it i mean subject to change of course this one has its vote over the shining i'm just curious i don't know if i'm totally ready to answer that question no nothing immediately comes to mind i will say that this has been a difficult well i found it to be a very effective genre and the whole process of going through these has been great i don't feel like anything has anything in this genre really is like are the movies that have grabbed me by the throat in terms of like an emotional revelation. And so, like I said, like this one, I respect, I, I can't think of a film that's on this list who I have higher respect for just like the craft of making it. And I'm not saying that I don't enjoy it. I, I, I do enjoy it. I just, it's that little piece of something that, that draws you back to a film that makes you want to return to it and go and like live in the universe created over and over again. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll discover it in the course of the the brackets as we go through them, but I'm not sure that I have one that I can really point to and say, this is it. And I don't mean as a knock against The Shining. I just mean, like, maybe it's representative of the fact that, yeah, none of them, like, draw drew me in that way. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I will say this is probably not my favorite subgenre of horror, and I think we'll kind of touch on why like many times over the course of of this season but like just for me like my my love of zombies or things that involve possession or demons or stuff like that like i i think a lot and certainly kind of the the serial killer ish if you you know throw in things like texas chainsaw massacre and of course friday the 13th like there there are many neighborhoods of the horror landscape that i think I, I just 
get me more excited than than the Haunted House movie. I, I can kind of get behind that perspective, but it's been certainly interesting to, to watch these movies because so many of them are not like, as the great Mike Kuchek used to say, hardwired into my brain because I've seen them you know, so many times and I'm so passionate about them. This has been more of a discovery process and it's certainly a great thing to delve into at this point. For me, it's been a lot of great moments. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of like really strong moments that I can point to that, that have lived on in my memory, like past my, you know, my actual recollection of the film. It's not a knock against the genre per se, but yeah, it's like moments stick with me, but not necessarily the, you know, the emotional wallop of the films themselves. Yeah. That's, I, I just want to get on record as saying that I do love this genre. And that is, there. these are movies that I have seen 10 times, if not more. I don't know exactly what it is that connects with me about it. There's usually, there's I feel like, and we'll get into this, there's an overlap of the familiarity of the setting, uh, the, the containment of it. And there's usually this sense of, is there a ghost or am I going insane? Yeah. And... And that, to me, I mean, both of those possibilities are so terrifying to me that this genre really does get under my skin. And a lot of these a lot of these movies, I I do think, uh, are pretty exceptional examples of the horror genre as a whole. Well, it's interesting. So fuck you you guys is what I'm going to (laughs) say. I am, as usual, staking out my fucking corner. I'm putting up my barbed wire. You guys come at me. Belligerent as ever, Vic. Yes, I I wouldn't expect you to be any other way. <laughs> Shut up, John. <laughs> you haven't even called me a son of a bitch yet. I mean, come on, you're warming Not up yet. now. I know you're warming up we're to on it. The, we're on the first. We're on the first movie, John. I gotta, I gotta save my. I gotta save my taglines for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, you have to speak it with proper, passionate vitriol, and I'm sure I will. I will inspire you later. I, I think that that's a really good conversation to have, and you know, we'll have it in different ways throughout this whole process. I'm sure. But when I was listening to you, Vic, yeah, it just kind of reminded me of the sort of underlying power of the genre, which is subgenre, which is very psychological, as you said, you know, having to do with people sort of in the gaslight kind of a way, people questioning their own perceptions and whether they can trust what they what they fear and what they believe is happening or if it's paranoia or they're being manipulated or it's just, you know, the terrifying specter of mental illness. So I think there is a lot to, to dig into there that, that is powerful that we can all relate to on a deeper level than, you know, oh, there's a guy with a knife trying to kill me, which most of us, God willing, haven't experienced a whole bunch in our lives. So there's that, and, you know, I think I touched on this last time, but, you know, kind of the idea of Jaws, you know, where, well, we'll, we can all think about swimming in the ocean and wondering, gee, what's down there? You know, am I at risk? Am I in danger? Could something just sweep up beneath me and take my leg right now? And so we all can imagine what that anxiety is. Well, we all live in a home, and we can all imagine the unsettling sense of vulnerability that your your castle, your fortress is turning against you and that there's nowhere to hide because, you know, that is where you lay your head down at night. 
and how terrifying that notion is. So I think there's tremendous power, but as we're going to get into, like there are so many tropes in this subgenre and so many hoary old cliches that every oh, movie yeah. feels obligated to trot out. And a lot of those trappings just don't, you know, like in a way that like put a, a bag on a guy's head and give him a machete and I feel like a charge and I'm viscerally sort of more engaged by that on some level than like a lot of the stuff that these movies trot out. I just, I, I kind of roll my eyes and say, okay, you know, like as, as Rich was alluding to, there are moments in these films that are just, you know, whew, they grab you and they're, they're really un, unsettling and unnerving, but so much of just kind of the, the wallpaper to, to use sort of a you know architectural analogy, the wallpaper is boring to me in so many of, of these um, genre subgenre exercises. Okay, my scorecard for The Shining. I mean, obviously, I have to give love to the incredible direction of Mick Garris, and I mean Stephen Weber <laughs> and Rebecca De Mornay are so good in this movie. <laughs> Now what? Listen, what? You be, you be nice. I'm going to try and get Nick Garris on this podcast. All right. Wait, we're <laughs> The Shining, right? I mean, this was a this is a wonderful television project that um, we all love so much. That's what we're talking about. No, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, the topiary, John. It, 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 it's got to have the topiary, or it's not The Shining. That's right. It was the definitive version. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Overall quality for me is an A+. Because, again, what am I going to give a fucking A+, to? Helicopter Shadows or not than this movie. That's why it has to get an A+. Because I really can't think of a, a movie I think is more perfect. Even if, yes, Vic, you are correct. No movie is entirely perfect. But I'm not going to hold out an A+, for something that doesn't exist. So if, if, if a few movies in the world, three or five get an A plus to me, this is one of them. And actually, I mean, though you guys gave me some good argument against it, I'm giving it an A plus for originality too. And I'll tell you why. Basically because it doesn't play like any of those fucking movies. I was going to say all 31 of these other movies have certain things in common and a seance is in 28 of them. I'm exaggerating somewhat, but <laughs> <laughs> somewhat. yeah, somewhat, not, not, not by a whole lot, but this that's movie, why, that's, go that's ahead. That's why how Sue is on the, is on the list, John, to throw off all your, all your curves, right? Uh, not to give anything away, but I, I give how Sue an A plus in originality as well. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and I'm kind of, yeah, within the subgenre, it's getting an A plus. You know, you could poke holes in that, but I just think compared to all the other haunted house movies in the world, uh, of which we have watched, you know, a good 40 or 50 in the last three months, I think that this just doesn't feel like any of them. Like it, between King and Kubrick, it just becomes its own unique animal. And, and part of that is why, as Rich was saying, like so many of these iconic things from it have become so obviously copied and so indelible in everyone's minds that now, now they're like, okay, that's like just enough already. 
But this movie did it, you know, this movie that didn't come from another movie. You can't say, oh, well, actually, guys, you know, The Shining, if you look at the 1958 Val Luton classic, much of The Shining was in that. No, it wasn't. There is no movie that gave you the playbook and the, and the, the DNA of The Shining. So A plus for that. Chill factor for me, uh, yeah, A plus, because this, <laughs> I mean, this movie stuck with me to, to a huge, huge degree. This movie scared me as much as any, any movie I can think of. This movie scared the living crap out of me. And I think that there's, even though like I'm an, a, a, obviously a grown ass man now, like when I watch it again, I can still see like the power is still there. I can still see that it works. Badass baddies is the antagonist category. I'm giving it an A because that woman in the bathtub and the former caretaker and, of course, Jack, ultimately. They're amazing antagonists. And they, they, they cast such a dark shadow over the whole movie. They are fucking terrifying. And they are, they are lethal. But I will give it a C for quality of kills just because, you know, there really aren't any. And that's, I think we're going to find that with a lot of these movies. At least there's a couple, you know, as, as Rich said, the way that Jack dies is, um, spoiler, sorry, oops, is amazing with, you know, at least visually and and it's novel and it's different and it's perfect. So, but still, I mean, you can't, this movie is not about kills. Uh, so it's a C directing a plus script, a plus, uh, acting, I will say B plus because I, I think there is uh, sort of a weird Kubrick often sort of coaxes these odd mannered performances because he had people, actors do 35 takes or more and they become weirdly wooden and artificial. And I think it's fine and it totally serves the movie. It's a B plus, not a C minus, but that's the one thing that I could see maybe tweaking a little bit. You could argue Jack is a little over the top. And, you know, Shelley Duvall is really strange and just like everybody is, even uh, Scatman Crothers, they're just, they're kind of mannered and it it works because it's consistent. And my other category, at least for this round, I'm kind of tipping my hat to the great Joe Bob Briggs and something that he does in his little scorecards, which is to inject the word foo into it (laughs) like it's always some kind of uh combat or element in in horror movies in in his show uh that uh, you know involves some strange things and he you know turns it into chainsaw foo or whatever so i'm gonna do that at least for this round and for me the shining it's the bathtub foo because that woman in the bathtub folks the old lady (laughs) in room 237 she gave me a complex, folks. When I was a kid, <laughs> I saw this movie and I was so terrified by her that I could not walk into the bathroom of my home, the haunted home that I lived in, without saying my safest you know, refuge in life, without whispering a little mantra to myself that began with, she won't be there tonight. Like, I know she's going to be there eventually when I walk in, but she won't be there tonight. And then I would add on, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. And if I said enough, or the next days, it would push it farther down the calendar, right? 
So every time I went into the bathroom, eventually I would just say, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. And this went on for a, a disturbingly long portion of my uh, preteen to early teens, okay, before I stopped doing this. That is a huge compliment, I think, to a horror movie. I was absolutely terrified that one day, if I forgot, if I let it go, and hey, maybe by now, a lot of days have gone by, the next time I walk into a bathroom, she'll be there, and I'll know I failed. Is that the only complex you got? Because remember, she doesn't start off as an old woman. And, and one of the things I've always been struck by is that this is, this is probably some of the first like full frontal female nudity a lot of us encountered. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and the damage that was done as a result of what happens after that, there's probably a lot of therapy that resulted from this uh, and some, some weird conversations, intimate conversations between people. Vic, if if we you know don't get uh, the Rona as some people call it and drop dead, I know we're gonna do twenty minutes to a half an hour on that scene. Eventually, we will get into it for sure. Did you guys both see this as kids? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, interesting. See, I didn't see this until I was in college, and at that point, I had seen the Simpsons, the Shinning, um, probably like twenty times before I ever even saw the the actual film. So I wonder what kind of an impact that had on my opinion of it. Yeah, it seems partially your sort of emotional disconnect. I mean, I think it's perfectly logical would be if you, if it wasn't a formative experience for you. But for me, like I I remember like friends of the family talking about this movie and this is going to be a recurring theme with some of these movies, you know, talking about the lore of this film for years before I saw it. And, like, this was, like, the granddaddy of them all, even over Poltergeist, which we will talk about tonight as well. And the movie that people just said, this is the gold standard. This is the ultimate. This movie will fuck you up. And I'm a little kid, you know, just wide-eyed, hearing about it. And when I saw it, just the legitimacy that this movie has. Like, there's nothing jokey or corny or dated or fakey or cheesy about it. It is an attack on your on your sanity and on your emotional well-being. And yeah, at a vulnerable age, like just you've never seen anything like it. And it's so powerful, so powerful, because every element of this movie, like with many Kubrick films, are working in perfect synchronicity to have the desired effect on you. Well, I don't want to belabor this movie too much because, we, you know, we will we will get into it. Believe you me. So let's move on to Haosu. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, just for anyone who's not uh, familiar with this movie, I'll give you like a, a very brief recap of uh, the production story. Basically, there's this commercial director. I would think of him probably as a guy who would be a music video director today. And But, you know, the aesthetics of commercials and music video directors, there's a lot of overlap, or at least, you know, he would have been a music video director if it was the 80s or 90s. So he gets this job basically because the Toho Film Studio had seen Jaws be successful, weirdly enough. And he, they wanted this uh, Nobuhiko Abayashi to deliver, uh, to develop, you know, something along those lines. And he had a lot of conversations with his preteen daughter. Uh, yeah, that's 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 definitely the way to go. And a lot of the, 
a lot of the stuff that feels very strange and whimsical and dreamlike and surreal uh, in the film came from his daughter's actual dreams and, and you know, her sort of childlike uh, fears. And there was a screenwriter, and, you know, so, so there are some larger, uh, deeper ideas in this thing, you know. I like the way you say that, you say that reassuringly, like, there was a screenwriter. <laughs> <laughs> well, watching the movie, don't, you, you don't might. Don't leave yet, don't leave. <laughs> watching the film, you might, might doubt the presence of a, of a screenwriter. <laughs> um, this is one of the, my favorite things that I saw on the Wikipedia on this movie. Obayashi recalled that his producer told him that Toho was tired of losing money on comprehensible films and were ready (laughs) to let Obayashi direct the house script, which they felt was incomprehensible. Well, they felt correctly. (laughs) It's the classic Hollywood story. Those studios are always doing this. We need it to be more incomprehensible. Let's get into it. Beginning with overall quality, let's go around the horn. Uh, I, I will kick it off since I'm, you know, already have the mic here. I'm going to give its overall quality a C plus. And I will say that while it does have uh, a lot of things that you can uh, endorse and appreciate, and I will, um, I think overall I felt this was kind of a slapdash, incomprehensible, shoot from the hip, and ultimately unfocused film that is more of a curiosity piece than something that really works for me. But it's still, it gets a plus on the C because, you know, it's, I've never seen anything like it. So, uh, Rich, you are the champion, the resident champion of this film. So what what's your overall quality grade on it? First off, I still stand by this film's admission into the the competition. I agree that it's a little that it's a little slapdash. I'd say I'd probably give it a B, just because I do feel like there is certainly an intentionality with which I feel like it's it's slapdash effects are applied, even though a lot of it is just like weird double exposure. Um, this film came out in what was it? Is it seventy eight? My misremembering that? seven seventy seven. It, it feels like, you know, the, the surrealist effects in it, like, feel almost like the visualization of, you know, like a door song shot through some sort of candy-colored Japanese kaleidoscope. I feel like, like, the art, like the art direction in it and the idea for the images, you know, seems to come from a genuinely inspired place. The execution of it, however, I admit is sometimes a little thin, but I don't know. I feel like they probably intended to have orange blood. They knew that you'd know that the skeletons were just plastic skeletons and you could see the strings. I don't know if this is what they were intending. Then like, is the quality high? I'm not sure. B B is not that different from C plus. Yeah. But um, back to Wikipedia real quick. Obayashi desired the special effects to look unrealistic as if a child created them. (laughs) (laughs) mission accomplished (laughs) to your point rich i mean i would not say it's a movie without a vision i mean i think there is a a vision but we're wondering how it all came together all right vic what's your overall score my overall quality rating is a d because (laughs) execution matters i even wonder hearing that he wanted it to look like a child put it together is that the kind of thing you say after the fact, like you uh-huh. see the movie? You know, it's like it's like uh, 
Tommy Wiseau with the rumor. He's like, no, 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 I was making a comedy. Of course right. I was making a comedy. Like, look at this. Obviously. No, it's bad. It's, it's <laughs> this movie is definitely, it's, it is midnight movie caliber. Like, your the room is an apt comparison. Yeah. Um, I will say, hearing that it was uh, that it was inspired by the success of Jaws, I wonder if this began its life as a movie about a killer piano. That feels like the there there is for those of you who haven't seen this and haven't haven't stopped the podcast to rush right out and see it. There is a scene, <laughs> briefly troubling, where a girl is is sort of heavily playing this piano until her fingers erode and she holds up these sort of bloody stumps, which is. Sort of. Hello, Vic. What's going on? Uh, it's a conceptual performance. This is how the audio would have sounded if Houseu was a podcast, <laughs> except with a lot more really uh-huh. annoying music, a repetitive score, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll hey, get to. Guys, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah. What what happened, Vic? That's really, that's really bizarre. The audio. I was just talking. The audio dropped completely out of my headphones and my microphone. I have the same mic you do, you know. Oh, that's disturbing. <laughs> Crap with that. Get ready, John, okay? My mic is... Christmas present. You, you told Emily what to buy. I did. Well, I've nurtured my mic while you've probably abused it. <laughs> oh, God, have I. The things I've done to this microphone, dude. The things this mic has heard. Sorry, sorry guys. I'll, I'll, I'll fiddle with this a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, if all else fails, we'll just make fun of you. Yeah, which was a lot of fun at that time when you had to call in with your phone. I enjoyed that very much. That was a lot of fun, guys. <laughs> I need some more uh, Timmy and the Well jokes, though, if, I'm gonna, if we're going to go back to that. So for those of you who didn't stop the podcast and rush right out to see this, there is a scene where a girl is sort of hypnotically playing a piano so frantically that she holds up her fingers and you realize that she's sort of worn them down to these bloody nubs, which is an actually disturbing scene. One of the, I think one of the, the most disturbing scenes in the, in the movie, but it is immediately undermined when the, the piano proceeds to literally eat her largely through flashes of sort of cheap style animation. And then there's a few really bizarre scenes. And I, you know what? I, the more I try to describe it, the less justice I'm doing it, and it doesn't deserve much justice. So, uh, yeah, Jaws Jaws with a piano, I imagine, is how this started, and somehow we wound up with this. The tagline originally was, just when you thought it was safe to play chopsticks. Hey, chopsticks! <laughs> That's an Asian joke, I get that. Actually, it was a piano joke, so now I, I feel oh, ashamed, no. ashamed of my latent racism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take some take some time and reexamine your your cultural uh, your, your cultural issues, John. I, I feel that a, a three hundred to seven hundred word apology is pending after the release of this podcast. Well, I can only imagine how long the apology you're working on to the people of Iceland is going to be. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that that's more like six thousand words, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, all right. All right, so yeah, that's my that's my take on the overall. Well, now Rich is the big apologist for this. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Uh, tell tell us about the you you like the piano scene. Like, give us a better a, another take on the piano scene, right? I mean, it's a girl eaten by a piano. What are you looking for, John? Um... <laughs> well, tell us how great it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> 
All right, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not prepared for to do a play by play on the piano scene. Does that bring us to originality? Uh, I think it does. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Originality. Again, I I said it before. I am giving it an A plus, you know, purely because when you, when you compare this movie to all the other haunted house movies out there, there, there is not another movie where you're like, it's kind of like house. No, this thing carves out its own uh, space in the, in the subgenre. So love it or hate it. I I do think it, it gets an A plus from me in originality. I'd give it a, a firm A. It, it definitely doesn't go to an A plus. It, it just in terms of like, there's there's a certain amount of it where it, I think you started watching this and you started texting me that like this was not a horror film. This was a comedy. And while that is at least part, that is certainly partly true. It is definitely intended to be kind of a comedy. There's some of the originality. I do feel like it's just trying to be weird a little bit, which then makes it a, a little bit derivative. But that said, yeah, its its oddity is unique onto its own. So yeah, I like you guys. The, its highest mark uh, was for originality, which was I, I gave it a B for that. I did find watching this, and I think when we when we talked initially about our experience with this movie, and I was like, well, like it's one of those things we head on at Halloween. Everybody take a drink. You know, I feel like I was sort of checking in on it and then and being like, wait, what the hell is going on? And then checking out and then, you know, like I wasn't paying a lot of attention. And I discovered that I, I might actually have been paying attention and just the weird, like disconnected series of scenes that I had in my head is just actually how the movie plays out. It's not like I left the room for 30 minutes and came back and a girl was getting eaten by a <laughs> piano that I was there the whole time. I just couldn't connect the girl getting eaten by the piano to any of the previous scenes. So I stand by my, my B rating. Now you watch this movie and you think like you're, you're drunk or you're walking in and out of the room or you're high or you have like a major head injury or all of the above. And in fact, no, it's just the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Could have, could have been mescaline. I don't know. Oh, no, it was just the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to throw out a few anecdotes along the way here. That this movie was a surprise hit. Like, Toho, the studio, did not expect uh, when they got the film, the produced film, that it would do any box office business. But, no, it it did resonate with uh, Japanese young people, which I get, again, just because, like, it's tailor-made for, you know, what we would later call the MTV generation. You know, where it's just like, weird, random, cool, it's perfect for, for kids that are sick of stodgy old samurai movies. It's a 1977 Japanese, you know, haunted house horror comedy. And people, for better or worse, are still talking about it. You know, it's in the Criterion Collection. You know, yeah. like it, it has some it had the movie had some legs. The yeah. Criterion Collection logo at the beginning blew my fucking mind. Well, yeah, this <laughs> I saw I this not ready for that. This got a big re-release, I believe, yeah, must have been Criterion in 2010 or 2011, and I saw this movie when I got the red envelope from Netflix, because people were talking about it, and it had enjoyed, you know, kind of a festival uh, resurgence after a restoration or whatever, and Ty West shot an appreciation video that was on the on the disc, and yes, this movie was ballyhooed 10 years ago when it made its triumphant return from obscurity. It screams like pretentious art film throwback, but I but I sort of love that. 
Uh, that's that's what the Criterion Collection is all about. So, <laughs> one more nugget. Um, Obiashi described the attitude on the set, according to Wikipedia, as very upbeat, as he often skipped, sang, and played quiz games with the younger actresses on the set. Despite having fun on the set, members of the Toho crew felt the film was nonsense. Upbeat is just a, a, a nice way of saying cocaine fueled. I, <laughs> yeah. I just love the word nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, let's not yeah. forget that that's what they were shopping for was, was nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> the director felt that the acting of the seven girls was poor while trying to direct them verbally. So he began playing the film's soundtrack on set, which changed the way the girls were acting in the film as they got into the spirit of the music. All right, well, uh, Chill Factor is next. Uh, I'm going to give this one a D. I definitely was never scared in any way by this movie. I won't give it an F because at least, like, there's some lethality here. Like, there, there's some teeth to the antagonists and the obstacles and the stakes. But, no, I, I never felt this movie really established any kind of unnerving mood or atmosphere or anything close to disturbing or scary. So it's a D for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. This movie is not in it for the chills. I agree with everything you said. Plus there was some nudity that made me uncomfortable. I also gave it a D. Uh, the, the scariest scene was for me, the girl holding up the fingers with the, with her, the nubs worn away from playing piano. Vic, and, you really uh, like using the word nubs and uh, I find that scary. <laughs> Not not many people know that Savannah, the three legged cat, has a she's she's a she's a tripod. She's a nub where her where her fourth leg used to be. So and she's sitting next to me, staring I, I think a little judgmentally at me. As a cat, she was a big fan of How Sue. The cat does play a central role in it. I like the cat. I like the cat. So mm-hmm. I feel that's like that's cool. why it comes up. Yeah, the the undercurrent of sort of exploitation movie like i feel like kung fu is wearing what looks like underwear for most of the movie and the 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 nudity is is sort of very forced and i felt like there was vague intimations of like hey let's go take a bath together and i was like am i am i watching 70s exploitation like quentin tarantino knockoff or something isn't the cat name like blanche is that yeah. does that ring a bell? Which only made me think of the Golden Girls, which further undermined the chill factor. <laughs> I didn't think. I mean, in in the annals of exploitation horror, I don't think this has a very dishonorable place. But yeah, it's it's definitely there's a lot of you know sort of gratuitous stuff in it, but it doesn't you know go very far. It's it's another just sort of discordant element in the film. I'll, I'll say that it's a negative in in that regard. Let's move on to Badass Baddies. I think I'm going to give it a C because, um, hey, I can hear my cat feeders going off like two rooms away. I don't know if you guys can. Oh, yeah. Yes. Excellent. The cat feeders are still a part of our podcast. That makes me, that warms the cockles of my heart. Anyway, the, the sort of auntie character who's this... Is she a ghost? I don't know. Wait, this isn't a haunted house movie. In any event, (laughs) I mean, I think between the cat and the piano and everything else, I'll give it a C. You know, like there's there's a at least if not real terrifying 
gravitas uh, to the villains in this in this movie. At least there's some diversity, variety, and originality to them. So I'll give it a C. Yeah, I agree. I find them like indelible. Like I feel like it is hard to, as Vic said, it's easy to forget that you actually saw this movie, even if you know you did. But I don't feel like I will shake the image of the cat or the piano. And that that's uh, those are good antagonists. They're memorable. And that's more than I can say for uh, several movies on this list. So I'm going to mm-hmm. actually go a step further. I'm going to give it a uh, give it a B minus. That's fair. You guys, in the course of your discussion, got me to up it from a D to a D plus. So, all right, yeah, the auntie does have a, a sort of a disconcerting smile, and it's really weird when she starts <laughs> walking again after being in the wheelchair. So, yeah, that's 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 enough. Vic, I can't tell you why, but but for some reason, it brings some joy to my heart to hear you squirm and how much you did not seem to enjoy this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Tying it all together. The nudity and the auntie. Uh, back to Wikipedia, the one of the actresses was uncomfortable about a nude scene. To make her more comfortable, the auntie actress, the older actress, also took off her clothes. After the director saw the older actress nude, he included a <laughs> nude scene for her in the film, which was not in the original script. All right, so there's that. And also, I found on um, Google, like just looking for images for this movie... I found a woman, I, I maybe it's a woman, I don't know. It's like someone wearing a costume of the cat lying on what looks like a hotel floor, like a full-grown person. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got that like kind of distinctive mouth that this cat, like not the real cat, but the picture on the wall has uh-huh. that is also like in a lot of the advertising and everything associated, the posters and whatnot. Uh, the iconic image of the cat's evil, toothy smile. It's uh, it's more disturbing to me than anything in the actual film. I'll say that. Let's, let's, <laughs> not, say, let's not say iconic, John. Well, I mean, look. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm okay. Kidding. <laughs> I mean, yeah. th- this definitely is the symbol of the film. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think there there is a value to it. There's There's the impact to that image. My cat, my cat just bit me when I said it wasn't iconic. So fuck. Sorry. No, it's yeah. good. It's fine. You're, you're gonna want to yeah. vote with Savannah, Savannah on this. Savannah. That's yeah. the that's her classier um, British uh, alter ego. Okay. There you go. I think we're ready for quality of kills now. I gave it a C plus there, which I think is somewhat generous. Uh, but the film actually has kills, which is a big plus. A lot of them are somewhat off camera ish. But I think that was the thing, honestly, other than the originality that grabbed me the most about the about the film was that each of these characters gets some kind of a semi-tragic send-off. You're meant to feel something each time, and there's something quirky and different about each of their demises. And while they're not truly disturbing or harrowing in any way, at least there's you know something um, visually interesting about them. So if anything, I might even up that to a B minus. It's on the borderline. I feel like I'd be willing to go to a, a B minus. Like it has a classic '70s level of of gore to it. 
And I like that it it had a an a sort of an exploit exploitative quality that is missing from most of the other movies that that ranks high up on our list. Totally, totally. And so you know, I'm thinking of like the blood spraying out of the walls and like the you know the severed head in the well. Like there's a bunch of just like weird sort of like gory visceral shit happening in this thing so oh my god i just came across the image of the the cat on the hotel floor that you're talking about <laughs> right isn't that unsettling <laughs> it's this Whoa, like person uh, in their cosplay outfit um but there's yeah. just something legitimately creepy about it <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to come across that. I was just refreshing my memory of the some of the imagery in this, but um, yeah, it's I like it. It's a it's it's bloody, it's messy, it's sloppy, um, it's fun. And if nothing else, I think this movie is trying to be fun, even though sometimes it can be kind of a miserable, confusing slog. <laughs> yeah, there's a fine line between fun and a miserable, confusing slog. <laughs> Yeah, so somewhere in that like that that musical sequence in the opening uh, act where they're like oh, driving out of town. Oh god. Where I was like where I was like I was like I don't know. Actually, I Rich, don't know if I'm going to make it. Yeah, when when I started texting you guys was when I was between, you know, 25 and 40 minutes into this and nothing had happened. <laughs> I I was I was getting a little surly at that point. <laughs> oh. John, are you saying that you weren't involved in the Gorgeous's problems with her her new stepmother and Fantasy's romantic interest in her teacher? I, I was less than swept up by those storylines, Vic. I must the, I must the, be that, honest. That that drama didn't didn't grab a hold of you, huh? Somehow, no. Somehow. Fair enough. I do like. Yeah. I do. I'm glad you mentioned because I do like their character names in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you spend half the movie wondering, like, wait a minute, am I actually expected to believe that these are their names? Okay, Kung Fu is awesome. I will say she was the one that uh, worked for me, and her theme was by far the best. Like each character has a musical motif. And actually, when hers would play, I'd be like, oh, cool. They're like, do 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 It's like, it had like kind of a little, a little uh, zip to it. And the, the, but the main theme, like the, I guess is, you call it the house theme or something. Oh, it annoyed the shit out of me. It was so repetitive. And like they were going for something kind of um, fairy tale-y or something. But it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it, it was cloying and grating is how I would put it. I also gave the quality of Kills a C plus, John. Uh, I agree. This is one of the other areas where the, where the movie got high-ish marks for me. Because, yeah, a girl gets eaten by a piano and uh, there's a flying head that bites a girl in the ass. I mean, how are you going to beat that? <laughs> I did like the uh, the well sequence. That was actually, to me, I think you're, you're right, Vic, with the, the severed fingers. There's something effective to that. But but the, the, the head popping out of the, of the well might be my personal favorite of the quote-unquote horror content in this film. We're on to directing... And I'm I'm already regretting this because I'm probably going to come in at the top. But hear me out. I actually gave it an A because I kind of feel like the director is what makes this interesting. Like I, I don't have a, a lot of nice things to say about anything except that this weirdo, you know, commercial director came in here 
and he he brought an aesthetic to this and this is an auteur film so anything you like about this movie i think you kind of have to give credit to obiashi because he's he's the north star of every decision at least that's the way it seems to me so i i will say look dude you you made it your own so i i will be so kind as to give it an A. I'll give it a B plus. I agree. Lots of vision, like I said, um, in terms of the craft of directing. I can't really say that it's that strong. Like you said, the, the performances leave something to be desired. But I agree that on vision, it is it is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I gave it a D. Um, <laughs> I really, I just for this sequence on the balcony in the first act between Ooh, the yeah. gorgeous and her daughter and the mother-in-law where he clearly just loves framing it through this, like this kind of glass that has all these lines through it. And you get the feeling like they, they must've sat there with the camera in like one spot, just like rocking back and forth gently for like eight hours to come up with this footage. I, it drove me, it drove me nuts. Really, before we even got through any of the Haunted House stuff, I was, I was done with this from, from a directing standpoint. Yeah, they're shooting it through, like, cubed windows where each of these panes uh, of, of glass are, like, really, really subdivided from one another uh, through the, these frames. And it just completely puts a mosaic over over the, the characters we're watching who are in this patio with this incredibly fakey, which never changes, brightly pink, cloud, cloudy sunset um, on the wall projected there um, or, you know, a screen, whatever it is. And it's just so artificial. I... I understand why that would completely rub you the wrong way, but like maybe it's my film school education or, you know, film studies education. I actually, I didn't hate that. Like, I think it was just kind of part and parcel of this type of film. A bad, a bad film. <laughs> part and parcel of a bad movie. I mean, it, it, it's part of the just like completely surrealist, there's nothing authentic or gritty about this, and it's telling you you are departing into a world that is going to be fanciful and and is is not it you know making any effort to convince you of its own reality. And self indulgent, yeah, self indulgent, John. I think I, the, the word there's, for. there's nothing wrong with self indulgence. Come on, who is more self indulgent than Kubrick? Like I feel like it's I feel like it's a little short sighted to call it a bad film. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's an annoying film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. You're right. You're right, Rich. I will. I will. I will concede that. Interesting. I did not think that Vic would hate this movie more than I did. Um, I, I I I actually feel like John, you're giving it a surprisingly positive review. I I know um, I'm surprising online yeah. discussions. I'm surprising myself, but I mean, again, I have sort of my my criteria can even surprise me because something that is generic and ordinary and formulaic and familiar is always going to come in lower than something that say what you want about it is batshit nuts. Like I often throughout the course of this podcast, all the years, this is episode 51, by the way, 
I will always give points for batshit nuts. And say what you want about Hausu. This movie is officially batshit nuts. Rich, it also just shows the, the lengths John will go to disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we might be natural allies. Fuck no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, script. Well, uh, it might come back to down to earth here a little bit on my scorecard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely giving the script a D. I mean, do I have to explain it? No. I mean, this thing is uh, a complete mess. So, uh, Rich, what's your grade for, for script? I mean, I was going to go to an F. Like, I'm, wow. I'm a defender of this. I'm a defender of this film, and it's still a – the script isn't even the point. Sure. No one, no one, cared, no one cared about the script. I think that him, him, his conversations with his preteen daughter, assuming that that story is even true, amounts to a bunch of index cards or an outline somewhere that I think was – a genuine source of inspiration but the script itself is just like uh, nothing's happening here d i'm, I'm on board where we are in accordance acting i think i was probably charitable here too because uh, i gave it a c when i can't understand the native language of actors i'm always more uh charitable uh of course but even even with that kind of uh distance from the nuances of what they're saying uh, yeah, they, they, they definitely struck me as amateurish and stiff and over-the-top and cartoonish. But again, that is somewhat in keeping with the tone of the story as a whole. So, yeah, maybe maybe C is kind. I don't know, Rich. What, what about, what's your acting grade for this? No, I, I think C is fair. Like, I felt like the actors in this were, were game. And um, they do come off as a like non-actors um, is the general vibe I'm getting from this movie. I don't know if that's true or not. It is true. But It is true, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> my impression of watching it is that you're seeing people respond to the direction and the tone of the movie. And so, yes, they are a little wooden and strange, but I would be surprised if the acting was better. D, guys, hard D. <laughs> a hard d are you giving it a, a hard, hard d, d. Keep, keep the sophisticated john <laughs> all right put your hard d away um right on the acting yeah apparently these uh most of the cast had worked with uh obayashi in his uh commercial endeavors meaning they were exactly not exactly theatrically trained so yeah, they had very limited experience, and it shows. But I like I like when Rich said they were game. Yeah, they they don't sleepwalk through it. You know, they definitely take it seriously. It's not, probably not the phrase, but they 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 give it a lot of energy, and I think that that is one of the film's charms. So we'll go we'll go that far. All right, my judge's choice other category on this. This was the first one I came up with of the whole season. Severed limb foo. I give it an A. I like the cheerful, largely bloodless dismemberment of this movie. Lots of floating, even dancing limbs and heads and whatnot animated like a children's cartoon. And again, if you just sort of take it in the spirit, the, if there is a cohesiveness to the vision of this film, it is this sort of goofy, playful, childlike thing. Definitely not scary, but um, I, I found it one of the more fun elements of this, yes, annoying film. 
watermelon foo. <laughs> it's it not often that you see a movie in which just a, a driving plot thread for a, a solid portion of the movie is about a watermelon that maybe was stolen, maybe wasn't, not really sure, gets dropped in a well, or is it a human head? I don't know. Watermelon foo, John. That's where I'm going with this. So, Vic, that one time when your computer broke and you had to call us from the well, was there a watermelon down there with you or just Lassie? There was both a watermelon and a severed head biting me in the ass. <laughs> Outstanding. So, well, yeah. I I will wrap up with this quote from uh, one of the reviewers of this film. And again, these are not my words. These are the words of a uh, critic at the time. Though it plays like a retarded hybrid of Rocky Horror and Whispering Corridors, it is, moment to moment, its own kind of movie hijinks. I don't know <laughs> if that person liked it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they kind of have a handle on what they were watching, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. Hausu versus The Shining. Let's vote. I will vote last. Rich... Cast your vote. I mean, I'm going to vote for The Shining. Whoa! Damn! What a shocker! <laughs> All right, Vic. Don't keep us on pins and needles here, buddy. What advances? I, I am I am also... I, there's a part of me that wants to cast like a mock vote for Halsu. I, I can't... I don't, I don't want that on the record. I want that recorded. I don't want anyone to hear me saying that. I will also vote for The Shining. Well, you are a Halsu hater. Uh, yes. I am. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is unanimous, gentlemen. The Shining has advanced. Hausu, thank you for playing. You definitely gave us a lot to talk about. All right. Well, two more matchups tonight. Let's get to it. And I think we're going to end with a bang. Now we have, uh, let's see. It is, oh, Insidious, the James Wan classic, but they are in the underdog position here because they're facing uh, a couple of filmmakers that don't suck by any measure. Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper, their much disputed collaboration, Poltergeist. Wow, I wonder what's going to happen on this one. Uh, let's hand out some uh, scorecards, shall we? I guess I traditionally kick off uh, the scorecards on this one, so I will say Poltergeist, overall quality A. I mean, do I have to really explain that? <laughs> Originality A. And I will explain that, because, yeah, we're dealing with, again, like a, a subgenre that has so much repetition of tropes. And yes, this movie does access a lot of the familiar elements of psychics and seances and so on the haunted house subgenre but uh, i really do believe overall as a film this completely brings it into the 80s and takes it to a lavish special effects heavy but extra extremely imaginative level and it, it actually incorporates some sort of multi-dimensionality and sci-fi-ish elements that uh, are, are way beyond just the sort of traditional, oh, this ghost has an axe to grind and we need to make it happy somehow kind of things that we had seen up to this point. So, yeah, 
I mean, stylistically and conceptually, I think it rates an A. Chill Factor, I'm going to give it a B plus, which might be generous for a PG movie. And I, I think I'm tapping into sort of my childhood here in that, yeah, I mean, if I had been 35 the first time I saw this movie, and maybe I wouldn't have given it a B plus. But I mean, I, I just think that the quality of the suspense sequences and the, you know, just kind of threat that is generated in scene to scene and, and certain a couple of key sequences that are, I think, legitimately scary to this day. I'm going to give it a B plus. Antagonist B, because I mean, I think there's plenty of nastiness with these with these ghosts and what they're up to and the beast and I mean, there. This is not a movie without an antagonist, so it's a B. Again, on a technicality, quality of kills has got to be an F because I don't think anyone actually dies in the movie. I'm being somewhat literal with quality of kills, and it doesn't really matter that much. But yeah, there's no kills. So directing, I think it. I think it mm-hmm. largely makes sense to be literal with quality of kills. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. You could. There's an argument to be said. Like when when look at some of these other movies, I was thinking like quality of. I don't know. I don't like to use this phrase, but like quality of violence. Like whenever the antagonist is attacking the protagonist, like I feel like that can kind of fall into a category of quality of kills. So I don't know, just a thought. I gave that some consideration as well. Oh, so but but you're saying like don't be literal with it. Like maybe we could fudge it and you know sort of incorporate I- non kills. Yeah, I was uh, I was taking it as if there if there are no kills at all, I'm usually thinking like kind of a D, but like it's an opportunity to talk about moments where maybe there was a near death scenario, and mm-hmm. if you if we were into a movie where one is really cool, then maybe it bumps it up a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Go go with your heart, John. If it ends up being some kind of you know tiebreaker or difference maker, I think we can you know get into it in, into it, but I don't think. You know, we're not literally tabulating, oh, well, because that was an F, you know, that movie, you know, can't advance. Um, But it's interesting compared to, like, say, if we were doing zombies or, you know, slashers or any number of other genres, there would be kills. But it's just kind of interesting that haunted house films don't really have them in a lot of these movies. But, but yeah, point well taken, Rich. Directing A+, yeah, whether it's Hooper or Spielberg or both – we can get into that, but I think this is a magnificently directed film, and I think the script is an A, and I think the acting is an A. So I'm I'm definitely high on this movie. I did not get a chance to rewatch it for this podcast, but that only become, comes out of my confidence in the film and, and knowing that I'll get a chance to watch it before we're done. And my other judges category is Steak Boo. <laughs> and this, of course, is referring to the classic sequence where a steak turns cancerous and this sort of college student parapsychologist begins ripping his face off in the bathroom after watching his meal turn horrific. And I want to point out that I could not watch the guy tearing his face off the first time or maybe even the first couple of times I saw this movie. So I think that scene always really stands out to me. You could definitely say the clown scene deserves an A+, but I want to mention it, and I just want to say this was a film of legend for me as a kid. 
It's a movie that people told me about, at least the way it felt when you were a child, years before I actually saw it. So I'm a big fan. That's my scorecard on Poltergeist. Rich, uh, what is your take on this film? I agree that I certainly had a similar memory of it. I, you know, I actually got to watch this last night for the first time in a few years. And so it's, it's pretty fresh on my mind. I, I definitely give the overall quality of the movie an A. It certainly feels like Spielberg. It feels like that era. It feels like a shiny Hollywood movie, but at the same time, it doesn't feel manufactured or, or cookie cutter. I read that uh, that uh, Pauline Kael, the, the film critic, uh, called the movie Entertaining Hash. And uh, I agree that on the surface, like, it's pretty, it's like kind of bubblegum entry-level horror. But I also think that it has some, like, subtext and some deeper themes. It's obsessed with pop culture. It's everywhere in the movie. Like, every single shot has a reference to, like, Star Wars or Aliens or Clue or the Rubik's Cube, or Mr. Rogers, or Sesame Street. Like, it's just like, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's almost like it's, um, it reminded me of, oddly, of Ready Player One, mm. the Spielberg movie. Like, it's it's so self-referential, but of its own time period. By the and way, I me, hate Pauline Kael. I, I just uh, want to say, uh, <laughs> she is my least favorite critic. So, and not to say that she wasn't discerning, but, like... There's not a lot of overlap in my taste and Pauline Kael's. So just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> John, interesting. John, you'll be stunned to learn that I have read many of Pauline Kael's books and, and find her to be quite an insightful critic, although I do love Dancing with Wolves. But, oh, uh, God. You uh, know, yeah. Vic, that just uh, that makes me hate her even more. What? No, no. She, she, she hated Dancing with the Wolves. She got raped. I think she may have lost her job because of her pants. Well, wait, um, what, I mean, what are we saying? I'm not a big fan of Dances with Wolves. So. I, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. I'm a okay. big fan of Pauline Kael, but we disagree on Dances with Wolves because she blasted it. You agree with Pauline Kael on Dances with Wolves. Maybe you should revisit some of her criticism and see if, if you line up more than you think you do. I feel like this is going to turn into like a duet between the two of you. Oh, that often Rich. is the case on this pod. <laughs> Rich, I'm, we're just going to cut you out of it anyway, so it's fine. Just whatever, whatever you want to say. Pacing, pacing, Rich. <laughs> okay. No, sorry. Didn't mean to derail you there, Rich. Go ahead. Yeah. That, that's, that's quite all right. And uh, yeah, on some level, this movie is as thin as the, the pop culture, but then I feel like it actually kind of has some interesting subtext. The reveal of why the house is haunted, um, which I know it's an old movie, but I won't give it away here if you if you don't remember it is a good reveal that sort of insinuates that like everything that's perfect about suburbia is not always how it seems. Not an incredibly original idea, but still a good one. Anyways, I give it overall, overall quality in A, A for originality. Chill factor, sorry, I'm giving this one a C. The effects are pretty cheeseball in this movie. This is not the abyss, but it seems to think it is. It has like a lot of ghosts a lot of like spirits floating through the the spaces and it looks very 2d and like composited and unfortunately it just didn't age very well but i agree that the ideas behind the scenes like the steak scene that you described and a couple others are pretty genuinely terrifying conceptually even if they're like a little laughable now uh, antagonist a uh, b the monster itself is cool but not that scary it's definitely a menacing force. And there's a couple of humans who I guess you could call the antagonist, but not 
not really like overtly. Quality of kills, as we discussed, I gave it a D because no one actually dies. I will say that there's a kid who gets virtually eaten by a tree, which gets pretty close to being a death. And the face peeling is, um, you know, you could almost consider it, like I said, kind of falling under that category. And that face peeling was pretty great. Very reminiscent. Uh, again, the, the effects of that face peeling looked a lot like the faces melting at the end of Raiders. It did. Um, I'm, I'm almost certain that the same people were involved in, in both scenes. Directing is definitely an A, regardless of, of who did it. But uh, it was scary, it was funny, it was sweet, it kind of balanced them all. It definitely knew, this movie knew what it wanted to be, and it executed it pretty flawlessly. Script is a, is a B plus, like I, uh, I mean, I guess it's original for a haunted house movie. I don't know, it did like, it did bring out all the tropes, you know, but it, it also like, it certainly had a few things you were seeing for the first time. The one thing I really liked about it was that when the spirits appear early in the movie, their immediate reaction isn't to be scared. They're having fun with it. They're like, you know, they the mother finds out that she can, you know, place a chair in one part of the room and it moves to another part of the room and she's thrilled to show her husband. Then they put their daughter in a football helmet and slide her across the floor. Like they're excited. They don't go immediately to terrified. It takes them time to get there. And I thought that was a cool development that you don't often see. Love the that. Acting, Love that. Totally agree. Great point. The acting was good. There's a great dog actor, which I feel like the dog, I feel like the dog actors were better in the eighties, but there's a golden retriever that just kills it in this movie. You know, it's, it's not the Husky from the, uh, from the thing, but it's pretty good. <laughs> um, and I love the wife who I, for what's her name? Jo Beth, uh, Williams, Williams. Jo Beth Williams. I thought she was fantastic in this. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and she's so enthusiastic. Like, whether whether she's having fun or she's terrified or she's just living suburban life, like, she just has, like, a ton of life force in this movie. And, uh, of course, uh, Zelda Rubenstein as the uh, the medium Tangina, is that mm-hmm. how, I think that's how they said her name, Yeah, is pretty, I mean, she's pretty remarkable. Obviously, like, she's the thing that people, most people remember about this movie. I think she will likely go down as probably the best medium or at least the most memorable medium in this competition. Oh, Um, hell yeah. And there's going to be a lot of them. For my judges award, I'm going clown foo. It's a small part and it takes a long time, but it does pay off. And that crown is creepy as shit. Oh yeah. I love, of course. I'm glad that you represented because the the clown needs to be considered. So Vic, uh, what's your scorecard? So I'm pretty much in line with you guys. Uh, I go overall quality. I give it an A. Originality, I give it a B. I I can't really explain that without spoiling the ending. But there's there's certainly a lot to recommend this. But anyways, I'll, I'll that that's something for for down the road. Chill factor. I, I sort of agree with you guys. I gave it a C plus. I mean, there's whoa the cl- that's what? that's not agreeing. That's like I had a B plus. I think Rich, what did you have like a Rich had a C. I had a C. Oh, okay. Well, that's 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 harsh. So you don't find this movie scary, essentially. Um, Who are you I, asking? Well, yeah. either I guess either of you. I, <laughs> no, I, I, I did not find this movie scary. I thought it. Was, I thought it was a. I thought it was fun horror. I, it was not scary. I mean, I think it has. Look, it has some scary parts. But look, when you talk about the chill factor of this movie, you're talking about really 
the clown and the sort of face peeling scene. Yeah. This movie falls into. I mean, this was. It, it is really. It's. It's. Oh, what about this the ending that you mentioned earlier? Like, like I, if you're not used to corpses and scary, you know, dead things popping up, uh, it's kind of scary, right? Well, I mean, so here's here's the thing, right? Is I remember. I think I saw this at a, at a quote unquote drive in. I mean, you know, it's LA. So it was like on a rooftop or something. And I just remember thinking as I was watching this, that there was just an era of filmmaking and Spielberg is really, I think deeply associated with it. Like this, like the Goonies, like gremlins explorers, maybe I haven't seen that in a long time, but that these were, these were the movies that forced them to make, PG-13, right? Yeah. This is kind of a family movie that also has some really, some really troubling things that if you are, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, will stick with you into your adulthood. I remember watching the Goonies and seeing like when they finally find, I I think it's, is it One-Eyed Willie? I don't know. They find like a skeleton with knives in his, in his eyes. You know, I mean, there's just, there's skeletons everywhere. They're going to put Chunk's hand in a blender. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing happened in kids' movies. Almost every every Spielberg movie that he directed or produced up until, like, you know, 1990, you know, was borderline PG versus R. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a weird space to occupy. This movie occupies that space. So there are moments that are really scary for for the type of movie that it is but overall it doesn't compare in in the chill factor to session 9 or the shining or lake mungo so it i think it yeah. for me it has to it has to fall somewhere below them on that i'm i'm and, i'm sorry i have to apologize almost for my b plus because yeah I am, I'm being influenced by my inner child on that. Like, yes, objectively speaking, compared to those movies, it's not, it's not at that level. So, um, yeah, you, 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 you've convinced me. It's that's, I mean, I feel like that's totally fair. Plus like part of the reason why this movie isn't that chilling is just like, it just didn't date well. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of that has to do with the effects and, and, and that kind of stuff. Which which is always I mean which always sort of dates things. This is more bit. dated than The Shining, obviously. Like, yeah, that's like it's yes. like five or six years later, and it's way more dated than The Shining. That's true, but it's also not The Shining isn't trying to do the things that Poltergeist is trying to do. Right. I mean, that's this is big budget popcorn entertainment. This is Ghostbusters. Right. In a, in a lot this of is ways, like kind like. of like a, in a way. I think I love that that you raise that if it, if it's an analogy or not i love that you mentioned that but this is a much darker tr- more a real ghost horror movie than ghostbusters but but they're they're cousins you know and yeah, yeah that's that's a very valid point antagonists i i went b plus i mean it's it is a a frightening force i mean the idea that it is after the children is sort of is sort of alarming. So yeah, for the antagonist, I, I give it a, a B plus. I, 
I feel like what it does, the way that the Force reveals itself, tend to be very scary. When you get to the final effects sequence where you really sort of see what it is, that lacks something even compared to the guy in the bear suit giving the guy a blowjob at uh, in the in the shining that sort of thing. So I feel like look, like ultimately when you're talking about your antagonist, you know, the 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 physical manifestation of it matters in terms of how scary and effective it is. It's effective in a lot of ways. It just in the in the last bit, I mean and look, like that's that's what Spielberg was going for. They wanted effects. They wanted this to be a big a big spectacle kind of movie in some ways. And, and it doesn't, that just undermines it. I think as a horror film, even if it makes it effective as sort of a Hollywood family ish film, uh, well, it makes it, it may be enjoyable to watch, but it's not terribly scary. Vic, 50% of my antagonist score for the shining was the bear suit blowjob. So that's, that's everyone's, that's everyone's <laughs> score, John. It's just the guy in the bear suit. It's, it's the it's weirdest also, fucking thing. It's also the name of my memoir. <laughs> I mean, that was the most antagonistic blowjob in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So I, again, with all that in mind, I, I did this. So quality kills. I actually just put N.A., uh, I feel like it's it's not applicable to a movie that doesn't have any uh, Now, Vic, I thought about that. Like, we can discuss this. Like, you could just put N.A. for quality of kills. But if one of these movies, oh, I don't know, Terrified, perhaps, were to have actual kills, I think that it should benefit from that advantage, you know? So, eh, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of saying we're talking about horror movies, and I think if you don't have kills, that should be somewhat of a liability for the movie. Um, you know, just given the genre that we're talking about. So that's I, that's why I'm not using NA. I'm gonna John, I'm gonna I'm gonna sleep on that for a for a bit because what I'm gonna try and come up with is a, a really scary film that doesn't have kills and thus is therefore not a liability. Well, dude, I mean, The Shining, like, I think I gave it a D. I don't know what you guys did. I mean, I mean, I, I think we all gave it poor grades. A, a low score for that. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to kill it. It's just, I mean, it's a fact. That's not something that the movie is, that's not a easy uh, horror movie trope that they're tapping into. It does. It's not a deal breaker. These movies can still absolutely work. But, I mean, I think we have to take into account when they don't actually have any deaths. Well, is so I, I thought about this as you guys were talking about it earlier. Is quality of kills ultimately a measure of the threat posed by the antagonist? Well, I, mean, I, I would I would put that in an antagonist, wouldn't wouldn't you? I was just gonna say, like that's what I was getting at earlier. Is that. If there are actual, so that's why, like I mentioned in mine, like the the kid being eaten by the tree, like that was basically a kill. It just, it's just that the character lived after that, but there was still like a method of attack being inflicted upon uh, on a human character, right, by a supernatural force, and so that to me like was a kill scene essentially. Mm. The guy pulling his face off, like. In a sense, like you could kind of file that under that that category. It's about the execution of that horrific moment that we go to these movies to find, not about the black and white, 
you know, binary sense of like, did the character live or die? I think that's a reasonable argument, but I think one of the big things about horror is that these are life and death stakes. And I think that there's something much more impactful, even if it's an imaginary character, when somebody is like dead versus, oh, it was just a dream or whatever. So I, I still hold out in the horror genre some value of people are dying in our story. And I want to have some respect for that. And I'm, I'm perfectly willing to give credit to the antagonist, you know, for something like the tree sequence. And I, I do, because I think that is part of, you know, what the antagonists are doing in the film. But I mean, I think if you're just like looking at all of these genres, subgenres of horror agnostically, quality of kills, like there should be a little bit of a, a you know, we should be sticklers for the idea that, that people died. And again, within this subgenre, if a ton of these movies don't have kills, that's that's fine because they're not going to hurt these movies too much. But I mean, I think when we sort of match them up in the future against other movies or if there is a ghost movie that has actual kills, I would like to recognize that. I would like to say, yeah, the stakes are life and death in this movie. And that that means something that is value added to me. So I don't want to depart too much from the literal idea that if you are a victim in this movie, you can lose your life. I want to respect that. My N.A. was controversial. All right. Uh, John, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change it to an I. Incomplete. (laughs) An incomplete, and I'm going to ruminate on it. And when we return to Poltergeist, assuming it graduates to the next round, uh, I will will have a, a more firm position on it. How about that? Well, again, I fucking love this movie. I gave it almost A's across the board, and I gave this an F for quality of kills. It's not going to yeah. hold the movie back, so we don't have to worry about that. So what's your, what's your directing grade? My directing grade is a B plus. Whoa! Uh, it's... <laughs> I, no, I'm legitimately shocked. These are two of the greatest filmmakers, you know, uh, top 25 to 30 of American history, and well, you, you gave it a B plus. Okay. I want to, wait, wait. So I want to, there's a couple things I want to, I want to uh, uh, stress here. Number one, well, I don't know if this is true or not. I had the I had the good fortune to see a screening of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What I distinctly remember is Toby Hooper saying in that that when uh, a uh, what was it somebody from the press came to do a, a story on the film, and Steven was Steven Spielberg was doing like second unit stuff on the exterior of the house. And so he was inside shooting the rest of the film. And so when they showed up, what they saw was Steven Spielberg yelling action and cut while this guy was shooting, again, second unit stuff. And that what came out of that was Spielberg direct. They, the story they wrote was Spielberg is actually the one directing it. And Toby Hooper seemed very uh, angry uh, even all those years later, that that was the the narrative that came out of it. Now I understand that there's lots of other things about it, and, and let's just say Zelda Rubinstein yeah. uh, has said that Spielberg did did a lot of the directing when she was there, and and Toby Hooper might have been using a lot of drugs and 
I, I, I'm putting that a little bluntly. I think she was a little more tasteful with it, but that was sort of what I took from it. I, I like so, the actual quote from Wikipedia that Hooper allowed some unacceptable chemic, chemical agents into his work. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's very that's very tasteful. So, look, she was on set for six days. I don't know. I choose to think of this as a Toby, Toby Hooper film. I, Spielberg's presence, I think, can be felt in the 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 script and the the sort of overall production, but I I, I choose to think that Toby Hooper directed this. Okay, but why is it not an A, Vic? I, just exactly what we've been talking about. There's a lot of stuff in this that that feels dated. Some of the effects don't work. Um, I don't think that's a directing error, though. No, I mean, look, are, are we going to talk about fucking the Changeling being dated? Is that like we should retroactively punish? Peter Medak for that? I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm wondering why you think this is, like, not an exceptionally directed film. It's a, it's a, it's a very well-directed film. I just, I don't, I don't put it on par with The Shining. The Shining well, I gave that an A+. plus. Well, okay, okay. You gave it only an A. I gave, right, right. I gave okay. Kubrick an A. I Got gave it. Toby Cooper a B plus. That feels like a like a like a pretty good scale to be operating on, right? Fair, 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 Vic. Okay, fair. Okay, yeah. Vic just uh, has standards, John. <laughs> <laughs> I like any trash that comes down the line. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about script, Vic? Uh, why don't you Why don't you give it a good solid uh, gentleman C? <laughs> script. I gave an A. I actually really like the the twist and the way that the story comes together, and I really do feel we talked a little bit about the subtext that the family dynamics in the film are are really part of what what sells it and what makes it work. I love the relationship between Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, the scene of them smoking pot and and yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know after they put the kids to bed and stuff. I mean that just feels that feels so real and so sort of mm. true to life. And that's the kind of stuff that you that you don't get in a lot of other movies. So I, no, I, I I really like that part of it. And the acting, I give an A, uh, and it's uh, you guys have have called out Joe Beth, Joe Beth Williams and and Zelda Rubinstein. I fucking love Craig T. Nelson. I yeah. love him in this movie. I think it's it's easy to forget that there was a time when Craig T. Nelson was a a borderline movie star. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was coming off of oh god, not the is it the Killing Fields. No, that's no. No, no, no. Uh, but yes, he's coming off of a, a couple of grittier parts, supporting parts in other movies. Uh, I think he's, I think he's terrific in this. I think he's solid. I f- actually find an, an interesting comparison to this to be the fact that Craig T. Nelson winds up being uh, Mister Incredible in The Incredibles. I love it's, that. Yeah, exactly. If you're looking for just a solid father figure, like you know, a little old fashioned, but vulnerable and and all those kinds of things like there's something in in his voice and his character and everything else that that just fits that yeah and, he, he's uh, a timeless a timeless dad yeah you know, i love that he's yes. got god knows how old but he's still playing that character i absolutely love that he does a lot with his um with his facial expressions in this movie too there's a lot of him standing in the background of scenes watching his wife interact with mediums and ghost hunters and him just sort of staring and like not not skeptical but just like fatigued agonized disbelief yeah yeah i mean i think he's a perfect spielberg 
leading man, you know, in the, in the vein of uh, Richard Dreyfus or, you know, like the, the kind of classic every man American father type characters. He's, he hits it out of the park and yeah, I, I love their chemistry and yeah, I mean, if anyone gave the acting of this movie less than an A, I would just be fucking horrified. Like, again, what do you want from movies would be my question. So I think, okay, so we all love this movie. What's the other uh, judge's, judge's choice category for you, Vic? Well, I just want to point out, I just looked it up. Uh, Craig T. Nelson was in The Killing Fields. It was just two years later. It was in 1984, not, not prior to this. Uh, oh, I oh the, it, wait, what? The Killing Fields, the the movie about, like, Pol Pot? Is that yes, what you were talking about? With oh, Sam, okay. Yeah, with Sam Waterston. Wow, I do not remember him in that, so props to you. Thank you. That's what that's what I bring to the table, John, is obscure, <laughs> obscure knowledge of Craig T. Nelson's filmography. <laughs> no, I, my other category, I, I wish I had something more original to say, it's the face-peeling scene. Like, it's... That's one of those scenes that sort of defines your childhood. Like, if you're into horror movies, one of the hurt first horror movies you saw, if you're our age, was Poltergeist. And one of the scariest scenes you ever saw was that guy pulling his face off. I also just know uh, that those were actually Spielberg's hands that are pulling the, the skin off. That sort of mm. undermines my my defense of Toby Hooper as the, the director of this. But that scene is really upsetting even even though it sort of turns out not to to happen but that's i think when we when we first talked about this movie i described this as the the gateway drug this is the bridge that connects you from kids movies to real horror movies and that scene is the cornerstone in that bridge we're going to watch this again clearly but you know i don't give too much credit for things that I watch again and I'm like, eh, you know, that's kind of weak sauce. I get it that I loved it when I was 12 or, you know, it scared me. Up until this point, you know, again, and maybe I won't champion it too hard when you watch it now. I think I still kind of retain at least 80, you know, 75 to 80% of, of the impact of these scenes that we're talking about. So, you know, I think it still works and I think this... This movie is not just about, well, were you, you know, nine years old or 13 or whatever when you first saw it. So, and and I think that that scene, even though it doesn't have the same impact today with the guy pulling his face off, I, I think that it's still, like, it's not, ah, God, that was a, that was a joke. Why did that scare me? So, I, I, I think the movie overall... It's still so well directed, and 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 they they just position you so well to be vulnerable, to care about these moments with these characters, that it elevates everything, and it, it makes you really invested in the in the moment to moment suspense. And I just don't find that with so many of the films that we're discussing. I think it's it's still a strong contender in our in our tournament. I just wanted to add to that, just kind of circling. Uh, off that idea, like circling back a little bit to our discussion over like quality of kills and like chill factor, which I gave like a slightly lower score to, is that in a way like that can be a movie's strength. You know, I don't want to get too like cornball, but like 
when I was downloading this, I was like, oh, like this maybe could be like the first like horror movie that like my son watches one day. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's still several years off. But the fact that the chill factor is like a little like, you know, sort of like watered down is, is not right, but a little safe is going to give this movie longevity and perhaps a new audience that it wouldn't have had otherwise. I think it's an immortal movie. I think it like it's a long way from feeling irrelevant and and worthless. And I, I think I, I give a lot of value to that. So it is up against Insidious. And uh, as per our tradition, I'll kick off the scorecard here. Overall quality of James Wan's Insidious. It's a B minus for me. Never. Never was blown away by this. Now I've seen it twice. And, you know, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie at all. But it's, you know, just just a notch above ordinary is what a B-minus means. Originality, B-minus, same thing. There are some definite, like, weird, quirky, you know, not that important, not load-bearing beams of the story. Like, just kind of... The gas mask type of stuff doesn't really move any needles. Those are original, but overall, like in its DNA, not that original. So B minus. Chill factor C plus. It's not completely unscary, but there's nothing that I point to as being a classic sequence of terror. Antagonist is a B minus for me. The guy, the weird whatever, Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> he's not that scary the the other like the old lady is scary but she's barely in the movie so b minus again quality of kills f there's no kills so good to just dispense with that uh directing is definitely a b i i won't argue with you if you give it more but you know it's it's definitely good but doesn't blow me away nothing there's no uh, camera going under the swing of the girl in the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Like, there's nothing that just, like, really impresses me. Script is a C. Yeah, I find it very, you know, sort of functional, but uh, pedestrian. I, I'm going to give acting a B- because I, I think there's sort of a weird histrionic, over-the-top... You know, I did not find a lot of subtlety and nuance and authenticity to the acting. I'm not going to you know, slam it. I don't think anyone's bad. I think these are good actors, but I can't give a lot of extra points for the acting. So I'm going to give that a, a B minus. And my judge's choice is going to be gas mask foo, which is an A. Yeah. The, that and the sort of ghost hunters accoutrement in general are very inventive and they're striking in their design as props, if not their importance to the story. So that was one of my favorite things of the movie that I find most memorable, but honestly, it's not that important overall. So that's my scorecard. Uh, Rich, weigh in on Insidious, please. I have, an, I don't know, I feel like I have an interesting standpoint because overall, I actually feel the same way about the movie that you do, but I do differ in a couple of big places. And the movie actually makes me angry. Hmm. And I chose this movie. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, right, like this bullshit. So the movie, I gave an overall quality of a B minus. 
Um, I agree. It is just barely above average. I do think it is better than your than mo- than any of the sequels that came after it, or most of like the modern kind of like Blumhouse era, you know, haunted offerings. Originality, I gave a C plus, because especially after watching Poltergeist, this is just Poltergeist. <laughs> it's just that the scarier parts are a little scarier, and it has none of like the charm or humanity or warmth to it. It is just trying to be scary in one section and then trying to be, I don't know, irreverent, funny. I don't know what it wants to be for the second half of this movie, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't get there for me. And so, yeah, this is basically like the, the plotting, the plot points, like it's all basically uh, poltergeist with, with only a little bit of variation. The chill factor, I go, I went a little stronger on. I actually find that the scares are legitimate haunted house scares, even if it turns out that the explanation isn't necessarily that the house is haunted. I find the the man with fire on his face, as they call, who does look remarkably like Darth Maul, um, <laughs> I found him to be pretty legitimately scary and memorable. He is the thing that I remember about this movie. I spent the you know the whole like lead up of the film where you're kind of waiting for things to really get going waiting for the shot where he was going to pop up in the background and i felt like when it did it delivered part of it is like the crazy like detuned banging piano score that they use which i thought was was deployed kind fairly well if a little obnoxious but i thought he was creepy and the, the way that he looked in rooms the way that the you know the mom would go in and like say goodnight to the to the the kids, and then you would kind of linger on the ceiling, and the kids would be looking at things on the walls that you couldn't see. Like, I, I don't know. I found that part of it creepy, but only the first half of the movie, because the first half where they're in this house that has a lot of like changeling vibes, it's definitely a, a you know sort of that old. I guess it's like a craftsman home which apparently is the best place to have your your home haunted that house is a legitimate horror movie where you're just kind of dealing with like the slow creeping dread of the fact that a ghost is somewhere in the background so for antagonists i actually gave it an a because i like the guy with the bar on his face i like the the old woman that you're talking about um who just pops up a little bit uh quality of kills was a a d does anyone die no one dies right nope yeah okay no death, so D probably isn't even fair. I'm gonna bump that down to a to an F because it didn't even earn like consideration. A B for directing. It is tight directing. Um, I think James Wan is a is a legitimate like professional, but like but like what's going on with the tone in this movie? Like it wants to be a serious, tense, scary haunted house movie for the first 45 minutes, and then these goofball ghost hunters show up and not not to knock their performance i actually think that the guys that that come in are funny yeah and they seem like they're doing their job they they seem like they're just following direction and doing it well and like their their pattern their dynamic and the kind of like the in jokes between the two of them are funny but like but i just don't understand like they had a good thing going it was a tense haunted house movie why do they just deflate the balloon at the end and have it become this goofy thing where, you know, Patrick Wilson is is 
going into the further, I think they call it, which basically yeah. just ends up being like a, a lame version of of the the '90s movie The Cell, where he's just like in an alternate version of his house, except the lights have turned green. It's just like I don't know. There's a lot of like lame disappointment, lame disappointing turns that happen at the end. Same for the script. I gave it a B because it kind of it just jumps the shark at the end. Everything after the the medium comes in and kind of explains the twist of what's causing the haunting is downhill for this movie. And the the whole further plotline Patrick Wilson doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know. It just like it just falls apart for me. But it seems like that was the point of making the movie to begin with. Patrick Wilson was fine. I gave acting a B. I agree. They're kind of like a again, like a watered-down version of the couple from Poltergeist with nothing really specific. Rose Byrne reminds me of, like, an anemic Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> um, I, I wonder where Jennifer Connelly is. I wanted her to be there. I felt like maybe she could have brought something to this. Um, oh, yeah. And, I, I look, and Rose Byrne's, like, okay. It's just that, like, there's nothing going on. In the, like, you can't tell me anything about either of these characters. You know nothing about them. They're just a couple who have kids and are experiencing a haunting. I guess you get a little bit of backstory about um, what happened to Patrick Wilson as a kid. Um, but there's just, there's just nothing there for them to work with. So my judge's choice is the bait and switch award um, mm -hmm. because this movie draws you in with the promise of an actual haunted house movie and then delivers plotting comedy that just limps to an ending. All I'm going to say is Jennifer Connelly makes everything better. So her absence is always felt in a movie. <laughs> in, in every movie. Yes. If she's not in it, it, it gets a, a downgrade for me. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And, and Vic knows I fucking love Jennifer Connelly. So it's true. I appreciate John, that. <laughs> John, John and I met working at desks next to each other. And John had a... a borderline scandalous picture of Jennifer Connelly, like pinned up to his cubicle yep. wall. Um, <laughs> no, it, yeah. actually it was not borderline scandalous, Vic. It was a, for your consideration ad for a beautiful mind. Well, that's scandalous for a variety of reasons. I was just saying like <laughs> vote for Jennifer Connelly, but yes, I, and my feelings for her are scandalous. So yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, in any event, don't tell my wife. Uh, Vic, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious. Have, would The Shining be improved with Jennifer Connelly as Wendy? Ah, uh, yes. Right? Like, what? Doesn't that actually? Doesn't that automatically sort of bump it up uh, uh, even a little bit further? Anyways, that 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 never occurred to me. But boy, that's a Rebecca De Mornay. What were they thinking? Anyway, again, Jennifer Connelly makes everything better. So, everything better. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Jennifer Connelly as Danny. I could watch that, you know. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly uh, can play King Kong, and I would watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, I, I, I seem to feel, I think, again, uh, roughly the same as you guys. I like the, the first half of this movie quite a bit. Um, I The overall quality, I gave a B. I mean, there is a, again, there is a sense in which, look, like what Blumhouse is, it, it was doing at this time was putting out kind of a, a reliably creepy workmanlike product. It, it, you know, it's it's sort of better than it has to be. 
and they have better talent around them than than it sort of needs but it doesn't they they don't take the chances they need to take to be really exceptional or to to really put them higher in a competition like this originality i gave it a b plus i mean i i think oh the idea of what's happening with the kid in the movie i found really creepy it actually reminds me a lot of a storyline and a, a, a believe it or not i swear to god this is weird but i this this will make sense there was a, a comic book in the 90s called hellstorm that marvel did that was literally about the son of satan and they did a storyline in that comic book that i've always wanted to adapt for a movie but given marvel's current image and the fact that they're owned by disney i don't think they're going to let me play with that particular character anytime soon but it was it very much reminded me of that and again i don't want to get too far into it but there's a there, there there's a concept at play there that i find personally pretty uh pretty chilling which again chill factor same thing it's almost it's almost hard to grade this movie because there are scenes in the first two acts that really scare me I and mean, i remember specifically when they get to the, to the what the that was me lighting a uh, a candle, Vic. I'm sorry. I are needed. You, are you smoking crystal meth? <laughs> <laughs> I needed some more atmosphere, and honestly, because you brought it up, I, I think you should talk about like what was so compelling about uh, about the kid, and, and like in, in case people are either unfamiliar with this movie or they haven't watched it in a while, like what was so cool about that. So what you what you ultimately find out about the kid is that. He is sort of projecting astrally, and his soul has left his body. And so the body that is left is essentially an empty vessel that attracts evil spirits to yeah. it. And that is a, a really the 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 storyline in the Hellstorm comic was that the comatose patients were suddenly waking up. But they were being woken up. They they were being inhabited by the spirits of the of the damned, basically, that that had sort of clawed their way out of hell. Well, that is and, very cool. And so that again, that idea of separating the soul from the body and the 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 body just as a as a living sort of empty vessel. I don't know. There's a there's a there's a lot of elements to how people die and what it means to be brain dead and and. If you've ever seen a person that is brain dead, it's chilling. It's a it's a it's a condition that that you you understand what it means that there is no one in there, and that's uh, something that's that's always really scared me. And I thought that this movie sort of grabbed onto that as something that could be the germ of a horror movie. I think it touches it in a glancing way, you know, like it, it it's not really well developed or taken to any level that would be truly unsettling. Like it almost feels like an afterthought that, yeah, potentially the idea is that this kid is vulnerable because he can be possessed and can be, you know, motivated to do harm to others. It's like, you know, a couple of vague sequences where, you know, there's a lot of bullshit, phenomena floating around phantasmagoria in the room and oh maybe now the kid is you know walking around and and is being compelled by 
uh, Darth Maul or whatever to uh, to hurt people, but there's no payoff. There's no payoff. Even though, yeah, I, I agree that the concept is there, but it, it doesn't really go anywhere. That's true. No, you're you're 100% correct, but that's my, my originality goes, my, my the plus in, in my B plus for originality goes to the concept and and also I just want to say too I as much as I agree with Rich that I that I dislike the further scenes especially I think are are really uh, it's just a weak sort of idea the overall mythology of it and this idea of astral projection and and you yeah. know sort of maybe it being hereditary and some of those kinds of ideas I, I find that that mythology at least fits like this this story the pieces fit together in a narrative way that I found interesting and, and, and at least well, well conceived. Again, there are lots of other problems with it, but those things I sort of like. And so the chill factor, I, I'm with rich. I remember that scene when, when the Darth Maul demon shows up and it's, that scared me. Like that was, that was weirdly alarming when I, when I, when I saw it and I also remember there's a when they move to the new house and Rose Byrne is sort of puttering around the house and there's a like a oh, boy really? that dashes across the, the Are back you of the are you really going to say that's scary, Vic? Yes, that's scared that scared the shit out of me. Oh my god, I hated yeah. that. I absolutely hated the random little kid in a fucking cap from 1929. <laughs> I fucking hated that. <laughs> I'd, I'd say I err a little a little more towards Vic. I didn't hate it that much. Uh, yeah, I agree that the, the, the 1920s cap was a bit much. Yeah, that was so kid, like, fucking random. The, the, the kid the giggling at some point felt yeah. like it was like it was just a little rote. But I, I did think that the the bit where she like walks outside and she sees him in like one window and then not the other window. It's also it's a broad daylight scare, and that's that, that's ballsy. Sure, yeah. sure. I yeah. just I found it ordinary with no payoff, like just another random element that they threw into the fucking hopper. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm okay with that. I mean, again, there's an the when you're doing when you're executing a movie like this, like there's an element of madness to it. Again, it's the guy in the bear suit, like that's a random fucking element, and it Vic and, do and it not feels like madness. Vic. No, no, no. Do but not you, you no you let me finish. Do you not com- let me finish. <laughs> do not compare those two things. Do not compare those two things. Okay. No, it is Bullshit. obviously not the equivalent, but I think that James Wan is a is a student of the genre and he understands that putting in things that you that you don't expect, the the weird juxtapositions and those sorts of things can be effective and he's he's trying for that and he's reaching for it you don't hit it he's not stanley kubrick and it's not you know lee winnell is not stephen king so it, uh, lee winnell is the screenwriter um uh, also one of the ghost hunters by the way so yeah so it doesn't again it's not you it's not anything sort of epic or or anything like that i found the movie creepy i give it a b for chill factor i give it a b for antagonists for all the reasons that Rich mentioned. Quality of kills, I've had some time to ruminate on it. I'm giving it an F. Fine. Nobody dies, therefore it has to be an F. Directing B, same thing. James Wan knows what he's doing. He 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 does this he does this kind of thing pretty well. Script, I go C plus because 
yeah, like it it goes off the rails at the end. And that's I honestly think, and it'll be something to see as we get further and further into this, one of the hardest things to do in any horror film, but I think in haunted house movies especially, is to stick the landing. I think lots of these movies are gonna are gonna fall apart in the third act and agreed. Yep. And how much they nail the, the the first hour of the film is gonna be a big determinant of how far they get in this process. This movie does a decent job with the with the, the first act. It mm-hmm. absolutely shits the bed in the landing. So yeah, so the script is is definitely sort of a, a, a weak part. The acting, I give it a B plus. I just I'm smitten with Rose Byrne. I think she's the. I I I really am. I it, I could go on and on about the things about her filmography that impressed me, but this is this is a piece of that. I think she's good in it. Patrick Wilson, I actually find interminably bland. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I there's I, there's not a single performance from him there. He doesn't just look like a pastier Bob Odenkirk. And Bob Odenkirk is already pretty pasty, so I I, I don't know. He's, he's oh, never I don't been impressed. I mean, like compared to like the guy in Avatar or like any number of like sort of interchangeable people uh, over the last twenty years, I, I don't think he's like an, an entirely forgettable footnote actor. Like you know, I think forgettable. Forgettable in Watchmen, forgettable in Little Children, forgettable in Aquaman, forgettable in everything. I take it back. I take it back. One thing, I liked him in season two of Fargo. Yes, yes. But everything else I've seen him in, I have been, I have, I have been unimpressed, and I was unimpressed in this. But Lynn Shay is great. She's, she's. We great. all she's love Lynn Shay. Yeah. yeah, she and she, she makes every every scene she's in better. My uh, my other category, I give it an F for further scenes. I why you <laughs> just that whole. I, I really I thought about trying to alliterate all of my other other grades, but uh, I, I couldn't make that work. But yes, F for further scenes. That why you create a universe. That, why, why you just why you do that? Why do you do that, Lee Winnell? Why are you doing that, James? Wait, Vic, tell us why. Why is it weak? You're creating a place in which. Much of what happens has no meaning. You know what I mean? The the, the mm-hmm. scares and the things that you're seeing are in a, a essentially a fictional universe. Like I understand that there are real world consequences in the same way that if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life or whatever. But it's still it's it's got nothing. It takes away all of the realism of the haunted house genre, which is what makes it scary. It's what we've talked about all along with paranormal activity, with poltergeist, with uh, even the shining. I mean, I think I, I personally have kind of a weak spot for really suburban set things that feel like they're taking place in, in places like where I grew up or places where like I live now, but it, it, it it you you strip away that realism. You strip away the things that make it feel like something that could happen to me. You make it take place in the, you know, a, a fantasy land like fucking legend with Tom Cruise. Like that 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 just robs it of any tension or any scares for me. 
Yeah, I, I, it's funny that you bring up The Matrix because that was immediately what I thought of was that this the end of this movie was the equivalent of, you know, if they came to Patrick Wilson at the end and were like, here, we need you to put on a, a VR goggles and you're going to go, you're going to go into the, into virtual reality and you're going to pull your son out of the web. Like I, like it would have been equally as corny as this was. But the thing is, is that, you know, a movie like the matrix, like takes something, uh, the matrix takes something like that and actually finds a way to apply stakes to this world of artifice and make that feel real. And they never went that extra mile or even came close in this version. I'll give you my spiel on this movie. I really don't mind this storyline about that parasitic old woman spirit who's fixated on Patrick Wilson's character from his uh, childhood. That's the only part of this movie that I really, truly found genuinely creepy. Acknowledging things that Vic said. But after managing to escape, Josh, the character, Patrick Wilson's character, confronts the old woman that haunted him as a child the old woman dissolves into darkness after Josh merely shouts at it to leave him alone. Which is one of the things that I fucking hate. Like, oh, all you had to do was stand up to it? Like, that is one of the, you know, quasi-horror tropes that I despise. Yep. Chapter 2. Yes, exactly. That's one of the things that makes that... Oh, you're right. You're so. I'm so glad you brought that up. That, like, I hate that. Oh well, you just need a little spine. You just have to stand up to it, and you will be fine. Absolutely hate that. Also, I hated that uh, Josh is skeptical until he realizes that the drawings that have been hanging up in his son's bedroom for months hint at everything that is being claimed. The astral projection, the red-faced demon, it's all there. So if my fucking son disappeared, I would be looking at the shit on the wall in his fucking bedroom. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. He's like, oh, that's the first time I've seen that. I, I never looked at any of uh, of that stuff. Like, it's, oh, I hate it. Also, the ending appears to be incredibly dark, but I still dismiss it as insincere trickery to send you out as an audience member to the parking lot scared because it appears like, yeah, very nihilistic shit happens in the last 10 minutes of this movie. But based on sequels, it appears that the characters who may or may not have died in this dark ending did not. So it's just empty phantasmagoria, which is what it feels like to me. The last thing I'll say is that I do appreciate that the composer of this film does play the red faced demon. You don't see that every day. Yeah. John Williams was not Grand Moff Tarkin, for example. <laughs> so that's uh, that's kind of cool. It was the, the composer played the bad guy. And this was, was a ho- highly profitable movie, so it resonated with audiences. But uh, no, it's, a, it's an easy out for me. I am voting against it. I am voting for Poltergeist. Rich, what's your vote? I am voting for Poltergeist 100%. And Vic? Yeah, you got you got to go with the favorite here. Uh, and, and Sidious is many things, but a classic it is not. Poltergeist certainly is. Well, we have one more pairing to resolve, one more matchup to de- determine the winner. But as is customary on this show, we have reloaded our beverages 
to gear up for this, and uh, I want to know, what is everybody drinking? Vic, what did you, as we come down the pike for the climax of this show, what did you pour in your glass, man? Uh, I've, I've gone back to my usual uh, nightcap of uh, just just about uh, two fingers of Glenlivet 12 Scotch whiskey. Wow. La-dee-da. La-dee motherfucking-da. How about you, Rich? That's right. <laughs> That's the sound of a charming little tasting glass with a bit of uh, silver tequila in it, Espolone. Oh, it's a Blanco? Is that what it is? Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I'm drinking a Longboard uh, Island Lager, which I think I had last time. So, yeah, we're in the home stretch, gentlemen. <laughs> you mean you mean four hours ago, John? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, the magic of editing. All right, so we have one more matchup, and this is exciting, folks, because we have paired, terrified, the Argentinian film, which is shockingly underappreciated, versus The Others, which is essentially a Spanish film, even though it has a lot of British actors and Australian lead. This is this is going to be our final matchup of the night. Let's come strong or not come at all. Terrified. Scorecard. This is easy for me. I was kind of blown away by this movie. Overall quality A. Um, I think it delivers the goods in every uh, aspect of horror films. Originality A. Because never quite seen a movie like this. It stands alone. We're not dealing with fucking seances and furniture rattling around. This movie has elements that um, and, and images and scenes that they don't exist in other films. Chill Factor A, I found it especially the first 10 minutes, which I guess is somewhat of a negative, and I can come to terms with that. Absolutely, for lack of a better word, terrifying. And... It's It brings the booze, man. It's a scary movie. Antagonist B, because, yeah, I mean, like, the things that we see, the creatures, the ghosts. I, I probably should give it an A, honestly. I mean, because... I was going to say, what are you taking yeah. off for? Yeah, I, I wrote this scorecard before I watched the movie tonight. So, full disclosure, I'm changing my scorecard. I, I wrote this, like, just on memory over the first time. And, you know, spoiler alert, the second time I saw this movie tonight was better than the first time. This movie blew me away. So, yeah, I have to change my scorecard. Thank you, Rich. Antagonist A. Quality of kills. I gave it a B. I think, I think it's an A. I think that the the, um, unbelievable gruesomeness and disturbingness of the kills that are in this movie. And guess what, folks? There are kills in this movie. Yeah, I'm giving it an A. I I gave directing a B originally. No. Uh, Honestly, the way that the movie looks and the sort of authenticity of the performances and the way everything kind of weaves together, I didn't see anything that would tell me that a wrong note was ever struck. So I have to kind of give it an A there. Script I gave a B originally. I'm not going to back off from that because I don't think it's a particularly writing-oriented film. Maybe I'm wrong, but eh, I'll stick with the B there. 
acting, I gave a B, just kind of not having totally remembered the film. But now when I think about particularly the cop in this movie, absolutely love the the performances in this movie and the uh, sort of coroner buddy that he has. I'm going to give it an, an A in acting as well. So other judge's choice is Thump Foo. Thump Foo. A plus. And I am referring to a scene in the first 10 minutes where we're hearing something happen behind a wall. And the husband is not aware that his wife disappeared. And he thinks that his neighbor is just doing a lot of home improvement. And this sequence just absolutely tells you that you're in for a classic horror movie. So I think that the bunny behind me is saying, yes, yes, yes. Go for broke, man. Stand up for this movie because it's fucking special. And I'll just say that I believe I've underrated this movie. And I think it, it might be if I were to redo this whole process this might be my number two seed. And I think it's going to do some damage in our tournament if I have anything to say about it. So, terrified. Over to you, Rich. So, I've only seen this movie once. This is a movie that you recommended, I think, as part of your early viewing. Yeah. And my reaction my reaction after seeing it was just like, like, what a treat this movie was. This felt like a real fun discovery that I had never heard of before. I gave it an A for overall quality. It definitely feels a little indie, feels a little low budget, a little rough around the edges, but it also has this quality of like, um, it felt like a little twisted novella that you picked up at like a flea market somewhere. Like mm -hmm. you're not familiar with the, the tale or, or quite sure where it's going the whole time. And it, uh, but it's, but it's still like, it's well executed. The surprises and where the story goes is constantly a surprise. So overall quality, a great viewing experience. I had a lot of fun with it. Originality. I'm giving a B plus. I think the reveal, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this uh, because you already said it in the, the first review is that this is about a haunted neighborhood and not a haunted house in particular. It does start out with one house and then it becomes another house and another house until you realize that there are several hauntings going on. That part was very original. I did feel like in the second and third act of the movie, they were struggling to find an explanation for it and it's never really made clear. And I do feel like the very end of the film, there's not quite the payoff that I was hoping for, but it was such a good ride there that I'm willing to forgive a lot of that. Chill Factor was an A+. Um, and I'm going to wrap these two together. Antagonist was also an A-plus for me. The effects weren't, weren't incredible, but they were good. But just putting that aside for a moment, I felt like the, the monster under the bed, the, the dead kid. Uh, I, I don't know how much of the story like we wanted like, is getting into spoilers with this. But these the, the menacing forces that are in the house are unique to each house and all feel like part of a very frightening collection of short stories. And each one, when you get to it, it they build you up to a point of tension 
where you do feel terrified and then they switch gears and move over to the next house and you're like oh god like this shit show like now like you're having to deal with this monster and like the they keep each monster kind of has its own set of rules and the own its own thing that it's doing and you're looking forward to it when you get there it really ratcheted up the tension in a in a really horrific way and i say that in the sense that like it was fantastical it felt you know, it was, this is not a, a good term, but it was monstery and it was horrific and, and visceral quality of kills. I'm giving a B plus. I actually can't remember now. I've seen, I saw this movie a few weeks ago. I can't remember any of the specific kills. I do remember stuff, some stuff that happens, such as there's a sequence where a force forces a, a knife through the hand of someone um, which is not a kill, but like certainly threatens to become one. And that becomes very like cringeworthy to to watch and really makes you feel like squirm in your seat. What becomes of the people when they're murdered? In particular, one of the the mediums who is who is involved, like the what happens to people who die in this movie sticks with me more than the actual deaths themselves. But I guess that that's part of it. One hundred percent it is, yeah directing is i give it a b plus i i thought it was it actually sort of weirdly remind me of of session nine which i know i haven't seen in a while and you can you can call me on that but it had a certain level of kind of gritty you know slow paced tension that that, that set up and, and paid off well i can't say that there's anything that that really wowed me about it except for the fact that like i said there's a few shots that i can't talk about until we get deeper into spoilers where i feel like he set up the camera very well where you knew that something was going to fill the frame and you knew it was going to be frightening because he'd earned your trust at that point but you still didn't know what was coming and then when it did show up it was like hitting the jackpot like it was just it was an exciting experience script i'm going to give a b there's a few things that don't make sense. There's a guy that's being haunted by a, a by a ghost that is scaring the living shit out of him, and yet he keeps going back and spending the night. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't have somewhere else to go, but like you should you should at least tell us that because otherwise there's no reason why this guy would keep exposing himself to it. There's some weird stuff about the detective where it's like the detective has has a relationship with another character um, or had a past relationship with another character in the movie, but I'm not sure why that's relevant. There's the subplot about like he has like a health concern that never seems to really pay off anywhere. And also there's a the ending, the third act, I'm I'm a little confused about what even happened or or why. You know, the 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 protagonist just kind of flees the scene and then eventually returns, and then the final scene of the movie didn't really add up to anything for me. The acting was pretty good, but I wouldn't say there's anything remarkable. I like the first medium, I forgot his name. But the first guy that uh, that comes and approaches the detective, it has sort of like a pragmatic approach to being a medium, and he's like he is you know he's a mentor that he learned from that he was excited about. Like there's there's something about the guy that feels like he's not the all knowing, all seeing medium that walks into most of these movies. He's like a hobbyist who's very enthusiastic about the sport, and uh, that's about it. I'd say for other, I gave it the wait for it award. Because of just the way that the movie plays out, where any given shot, if you think something frightening is about to happen, but you don't know what it is, something frightening is about to happen. So just wait for it. Awesome. Well, before I hand it off to Vic, I just want to say, in a general sense, this is 
the kind of movie that I love, like agnostic or, you know, genre or subgenre or sub subgenre irrelevant. This is just a great fucking horror movie. And so I, you know, I would be rating it highly no matter what we were dealing with in terms of category or how you think of it. So that means a lot to me. All right, Vic, uh, give us your scorecard. I, I want there to be conflict, guys. I, I want to argue with you guys about these things. I can't argue. John, this is this is an amazing, terrifying film. I watched this in broad daylight, and I sort of said to my wife, listen, I you know, I got I got some movies I gotta catch up on for this thing. Let me I'm just gonna I'm gonna, I'll fold laundry, like I'm gonna do work. But let me go watch something wildly inappropriate for children. And the kids were in the backyard bouncing on a trampoline. And I just had the shades open so that I could watch the kids. And let me tell you, the kids could have impaled each other while I was watching this. And I simply would not have noticed. Like, even the clothes folding got pretty chaotic. Like, it, there were just... There were so many moments when I suddenly went, oh my, and like poor, poor Emily would walk in as I was doing, you know, she'd walk in just to put something away or, and I would just, she would walk in and I would have my hands on my face like, oh my God, the kid just got hit by the bus. Like, you know, whatever, whatever it was, there were these, these, just so many moments that, that leap out of nowhere. Overall quality, I definitely give it an A. I do want to call out just to 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 mention something something different. The Argentinian setting, it's interesting because so much of it is largely relatable, but I found there were a couple times when the the police officers and other characters would mention something like can you imagine if a prosecutor got a hold of this that felt like there was a a, a weird I don't know. There was a, there was a there was a different threat over all of this that these characters were were very afraid of running afoul of the judicial system. That it mm. seemed very important to stay out of it, and that mm. was something that I like like a like a lot of the the foreign films that we've discussed and the, the films that we're going to get to as as we get into this. That cultural aspect adds another layer to it. Like Under the Shadow, for instance, when we get to mm-hmm. that. Just the fact that it's taking place in another country, there are just little vibes to it, little lines and and, and things that have a different feeling to it that, that make it really cool. So I just want to mention that when I'm talking about the overall quality of it. Originality, I also gave it a B plus. John, don't yell at me. You son of a bitch. Okay. The two thoughts that I had while watching it were that it strikes me, number one, as a child of a progeny of a, a distant cousin of Juwan in sure. terms of the structure sure. that it seems like a series of, of interconnected tales that we bounce back and forth between. We, we juggle the timeline as we're moving back and forth between them in order to make it work. And so that part, just, just that part of it, look, if you're going to borrow from a movie, Juwan remains the, the scariest movie I've ever seen. Doesn't mean it's the greatest horror movie I've ever seen. That's why we're still doing this competition. But it remains the scariest movie I've ever seen. So if you're gonna if you're gonna borrow from if you're gonna borrow anything from a movie, that's not a bad movie to borrow from, and and it works to great effect here. And the other thing is that 
fundamentally, the, the second half of this movie really comes down to a team of paranormal investigators looking into paranormal activity in a house. And that just as a as in terms of determining the characters you're going to thrust into these terrifying circumstances, that is something that I've seen before and many times. We just talked about Poltergeist with a team of three paranormal investigators, uh, one man, uh, one woman, and two two men. Insidious team of paranormal right. investigators, one woman, two men. Okay, but guys, like you. In a vacuum, I think you both have been very hard on originality tonight, but I really hope that that carries over because we haven't even begun to to tap into or discuss the movies that are really, really traditional in this genre. Like we have a good 10 movies that we haven't talked about yet, but that are in this competition that are, I mean, compared to the movies we've talked about tonight are just absolutely cliche. So I hope you give them D minuses and Fs for originality because you guys are, I don't feel like, I don't feel like a B plus is like, is super hard on anything. A B plus is decent. Some of us got a lot of B pluses in school, John. (laughs) What the fuck, John? Okay. Fair, fair enough. But I mean, I just, I want some harshness on the other side of the scale. Because, like, these, I looked at originality as compared to the movies we're talking about. Yes, in a vacuum, I think you guys are being fair with your originality scares. But when we're looking at the haunted house subgenre, I think that some of these movies are just like, they just seem like they're coming from another world. And this is one of them. Like, they, they do not have any cliched time-honored, you know, tropes that they're sort of methodically going through. And even, you know, like even movies that I like, uh, I think in the subgenre tend to, to fall victim to that. And I think this movie just stands out so much that I, I, I can't not give it an A, but okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry. I, proceed. I, 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 I understand. I hope that you, I think you will wait and give me a chance to give the changeling an F for originality before okay. you, uh, you get too hard on me. Okay. But I'm just saying, a team of paranormal uh, uh, investigators investigating a haunted house is not a terribly original element to throw into it, no. which knocks it down from an A to a B plus. Okay. I, I okay. will say I will say Vic and John, maybe you can put a point on a fine point on this because I'm not sure that I can. But while I agree with you, Vic, I remember the moment when you realized that the three paranormal investigators had shown up and that the new direction of the movie was that the, the, the was that the three investigators were going to break up and each take a different house and you were going to see how each house unfolded. I got excited. Yeah. I got gleeful about where this movie was going in a way that I didn't feel when the investigators showed up in Poltergeist or Insidious. Right. I did. There's a there's a flip side to that. So yes, but part of that is this is spread out over multiple houses, right? So that wasn't it's not like that was an option for poltergeist. All right, but, but hold on, hold on, Vic. Like like when you just introduce that, like that is a plus, and you have to come way way down with other elements to to diminish from the originality of 
wait for it. This is not one haunted house. This is a haunted fucking neighborhood. Like, the, like you get so many points for that. How do you back it down to B? Like, to anything in a B uh, area? That's my question. Well, I have an answer for that. Yeah, Rich, you gave it a B plus. You take that. personally. Yeah, I give it. I give it a B plus because there's a there's a lack of payoff issue in it. I think that the scares pay off well, but the story does not. And I look. I'm going to take this one. Okay, there was a part of me that was like, they showed up to an area that had multiple haunted locations and said, "Let's split up." Oh, wait, are That's, we talking about originality or script here? <laughs> I, I mean, I that those two things are intertwined yeah i gave the, i gave the script a b john i gave it a b too i mean originally so yeah so those so those things i agree those things are those things are intertwined well no i i give it a, an a for originality and a b for script so i'm just saying i i think orig, originality has to do with are you bringing new shit to the table in the ghost in the haunted house subgenre I think the answer to that question is overwhelmingly yes. Are there issues with the script? Is this a genius piece of writing? Eh, you know, maybe not. That that I think those are separate issues. Well, you're talking I, you're talking like story versus script, basically. Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm talking about like genre-ish cliches and con- conceptual things. And I think that conceptually, this this is like genius i really do i really think it combines so many interesting ideas that aren't 100 percent new but that that you know like you don't see in these movies i i have no compunction about giving it an a for originality do i you know think that the script deserves an a i'm very much on the fence about that and i think that that's sort of the criticisms that you're raising have more to do with the script than the fact that like this doesn't break new ground in the haunted house genre. I, I don't even think that's up for debate. I mean, I don't know. You might be fluffing up just a little bit. I mean, bear in mind, like this, mm-hmm. I would what I what I would call the key ghost slash monster in this movie is literally a monster under the bed. Is it the best monster under the bed I can recall? Yeah, probably, but it's still a monster under the bed. But that's only one third of the shit that is like the evil stuff that are threatening the people in this movie. It might be the most striking or the most sort of uh, archetypal, but like that, that the whole movie doesn't hang on that one element. Like there's so many aspects again. Like I think that just the fact that this movie suggests that, yeah, this is not a spoiler that you can cross the street. You can be in your car you can be at the curb. You are com- as vulnerable as if you were in the basement or the kitchen of any of these haunted houses. I think that that represents whether you know we other movies should have done that before or not is is secondary. This is the first haunted house movie where it's like it's a haunted block, and I think that it deserves huge credit for that. That's just where I'm coming from. John, I just, I just love that I feel like you and I have swapped places. Like I feel like you are making all the arguments that I made for Halloween H two O. You know oh what I mean? Oh my that god! You are, you are 
passionately invested in these things and and calling me a son of a bitch. What was and conceptually it, brilliant about that movie? <laughs> and it, and, it, and, it, and Guys, it this is not the time or the place. <laughs> I, I just want to say, John, it, it, it hurts. If I'd realized how badly it hurts to be on the receiving end of, of this kind of vitriol, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. So... Well, on the other hand, we all agree that this is a great fucking movie, so I don't feel too terrible about it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I want to say, we did this movie a vast, and uh, this is me, this is I. This was my nominee, I feel that I did this movie a grave disservice by ranking it where I did, and I believe it's closer to two or three in this field. A grave encounter, disservice, a grave <laughs> disservice. I think we're gonna. Uh, I, uh, my my wild card nominee is going to be Grave Encounters. Grave Encounters. <laughs> I uh, look. I look forward to that thing. I actually, I have my wild card nominee. I woke up the other day with it in my. I'm not even going to spoil it. I'm going to save it. I have a wild card nominee that I can't believe we didn't think of, and I'm I'm kicking myself for it. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Vic. Really quick, I want to say that movies like Terrified worry me that we could somehow be missing films of this quality and it's going to break my heart if we find out later that oh you all you like terrified i mean there was this uh i mean this was an argentinian movie but you know like well there's a brazilian film or a polish film or whatever we can always we can always brush under the rug as a, another subgenre like I, I could file this away as like a roaming ghost movie or even a monster movie yeah yeah i mean fair enough but i just like well, re- being reminded that movies this good just are being made makes me feel like, oh my god, is my radar sensitive enough? Like, could it be that something would slip by me that we should be talking about that I'm going to be embarrassed later that we didn't even, you know, consider? Um, I, I, honestly, I'll, half of me hopes that that's true. Because that means there's more great movies in the world that we can enjoy. But the other half of me is like, you know, oh God, did we not just keep our ear pressed to the ground? I, John, that's a, I, that's a good point. And I just want to say that is all the more reason for all of the horror fans out there who are listening to this. Let us know. Point us to the shit that, that you guys love and, uh, and let us know because we will, we will, we will check it out. And we will try and find a way to work it in. Again, I, I do think that the wild card round does seem like something that's that's getting increasingly interesting as we talk about stuff like this. Now, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to press forward because we're not done with this, right? I've just gotten to originality. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave it a B plus. I know. What a monster. Jesus. I'm Vic, sorry, Don't John. say gonna, it. Don't gonna, say it. I'm gonna get into I'm gonna I'm gonna get into therapy and I'm gonna work this out because clearly there's Vic, something wrong with. If it. you give this movie a B plus in originality, you're dead to me. I'm dead to you. <laughs> I know. I know. Chill factor. I gave it an A. Uh, this is a really, really scary movie. So I just want to reiterate: if you're listening to this, it's. I, I think I can say I know uh, we have the idea that these should all be sort of evergreen episodes with the possible exception of the fact that we're recording this under the quarantine of the coronavirus. But this is a Shudder original, so I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to get on Shudder to go see this. Do it. It's worth it. There's like a free trial. Just do the free trial and then cancel it. It's okay. 
Stick <laughs> on Shutter because Shutter's cool and they got good shit on there. But it, it, it's worth it. This is a really, really scary movie. Antagonist, I went B plus again. Don't yell at me, John. Okay, the antagonist, I went B plus largely because Even I, I didn't... disagree with you here, Vic. What? I said I also disagree with you here. Rich, shut up. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, my the reason I went B plus here is just. There is one scene, there are three lines of dialogue where they attempt to explain what it is we're dealing with, and those three lines of dialogue in the otherwise terrifying, incredibly well-constructed 90 minutes of film don't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't really work. I didn't like it. Oh, so you're relying on dialogue for antagonists. That's interesting. Okay, so I'm that's your I'm that's your criteria. I'm relying on the description of what the antagonist actually is. Sure, backstory and motivation. I, I I can see that. I mean, so, that's yeah. a totally reasonable argument. So, at the same time, it, there, there's a corpse of a kid eating cereal. I mean, like, that's... Right. I mean, uh, like, to discount what you actually see and the things that actually do harm to people, uh, you know, I don't think you should really give that short shrift in my book, Vic. I'm I'm just saying I I as a writer one of the things that is the hardest thing to do is to craft those three lines of dialogue. It is in 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 figuring out how to describe what your antagonist is, how to make the story make some kind of sense and not too much sense. John, I'm not going to mention opening the door too far, not far enough. Which you, mm-hmm. by the way, mischaracterized in previous podcasts. I've been listening to them. Um, uh, <laughs> what? Uh, I'm okay. not going to. I'm not going to mention that. I'm just going to say that finding the finding the right amount of description is it, it, it's it's trying to balance your story on the the head of a pin, and this story comes very close, but it doesn't completely nail it, and so that for me. I'll even, you know what? I'm I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change it on the fly from a B plus to an A minus. Okay, good. I just typed. I just typed it. I don't know if you've okay. heard it. I just typed it from a B plus to an A. Oh, I can hear it. That's uh, that's fortunate, Doc, because right. otherwise I would crucify you. <laughs> John, I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure you would violate my social distancing if you tried to crucify me. So I just want to. That's oh, fair. Well, now that's we're fair. dated. Yeah, uh-huh. you're gonna have you have to wait. Everybody's gonna be like. Oh God! These these coronavirus podcasts. Oh God! Wait, listen, wait till wait till we get to the others. You think I'm not going to mention that shit there? Uh, I I do think actually you make a very good point that that can come up across this whole competition, which is that the cliche of there's a spirit, it wants something. What does it want? That is the trope of this subgenre. I mean, that is the base level. Yep. What is are all of these movies about? They're always about a spirit that is causing mayhem or chaos or violence, and it has a motivation, and the characters have to figure out what the motivation is and then somehow dispel that motivation. So I think that that's a, actually sort of a fair assessment, that if you can't fully realize something that's compelling 
and original and menacing and believable, when you're trying to explain that motivation, then you have kind of failed us a little bit in terms of your antagonist. That's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. I I don't like that um, approach to horror. No, stupid way to look at it. Well, no, I'm saying saying that, like, again, this is a movie, like, agnostic of sub-sub-genre. Like, what I look for from a horror film, that is not something that I value whatsoever. So, for me, this is a movie that, like, once we're past all of the subgenres, and it doesn't matter, is it zombie, or is it serial killer, or, you know, is it roaming ghost, or haunted house, or whatever, this is just a movie that fucking works for me. And I don't care what the trappings are, or the tropes, or the history, or the requirements of the sub-subgenre. Like, this is just a fucking scary movie. And so I just, I'm going to elevate it because this movie works on the levels that I care about. And yeah, maybe, you know, if we're getting down into, oh, well, but it's a ghost movie. So what do the ghosts want or whatever, you know, in some kind of, no offense, uh, Rich, I, I don't mean to, you know, in that way, but it's like this kind of nerdy classification that it has to adhere to certain rules I don't care. I really don't care. And so many of I feel of these... like you're gonna eat you're gonna eat those words, John. You're gonna like try to throw that same argument back in our faces later on in this competition. With what? You do With care. what movie? You do care. All of these movies are about that. All of these movies are about what makes the ghost scary in the first place. But but no, what I'm saying is I don't like I'm not a as I've said, I'm not a huge fan of this whole subgenre. I'm not a purist. I'm not a well, ghost sure, but story we're just, about, we're, just, we're just talking about story. Like, you're, so you're saying that when we get to slashers, you're not going to care about why the slasher is, is going after people? Like, that's bullshit. You do. Well, okay, that's fair. But at the same time, I want a movie to deliver the goods for the genre. I want to be scared. I want to be creeped out. I don't like these ghost movies that are all about... Well, it's a mystery, and if we can just figure out what the ghost wants, then everything will be okay. That's not my idea of a horror movie. Like, I'm not attracted to that. So, this movie works for me no matter what you call it. Like, no matter what is going on. Like, this movie fits in with, uh, you know, possessions and demons and slashers and zombies. Like, this is just my kind of fucking movie. So, uh, and there's not a lot of these guy, movies, guys, that I feel that way about. So, right. I'm a big champion of this film. All right, guys. I, I, I got the antagonist. I'm halfway through my scorecard. <laughs> Vic, your, your, your scorecard is really generating conversation. So it is. Props it to is. You. But this is, this is probably going to advance, guys. So, let's, let me get through the rest of my scorecard, and we can we can we can talk about all this it's, later. It's going to get better before it, or it's going to get worse before it gets yeah. better. I will say I really enjoyed that. Was awesome. I, I Rich, I suddenly was like, oh, like this is what it feels like when you're just sitting there listening to me and John tear into each other. I look forward to more 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 disagreement between you two. I'm going to get some popcorn for that. All right, quality of kills. Hey, John, you happy? I gave it an A. I am happy. Yes. Yeah. 
I I really liked a number of the kills in this, uh, not least the one that happens in the first 10 minutes, what I will call the bus kill. I don't think that's quite a spoiler because it happens so early. And directing, I give it an A. Script, for uh, what I hope are now obvious reasons, I gave it a B. Uh, I do agree that there's there's not a lot of character development and the development that we have, especially around the cop character, is fine. It works for the purposes of what we needed to do. It, it's just it it doesn't feel very natural. It feels a little forced, and it doesn't it doesn't quite develop the way that I would have liked to have seen it develop. Do you guys not like the the cop character? I mean, do you not like that actor and that whole? I didn't, I didn't no, really no. like him. No, no. Wow, wow. I like I liked him, but I agree there are there like. There are two elements to his character, his relationship with the the neighbor and his health problem. Right. And neither of those really go anywhere. I They're, fucking they, love that guy. They sort of try, I think his performance is very good. I give the acting, I give the acting a, a B overall. I might up that to a B plus just in, in retrospect. The actors are all very good. Again, I don't want to, I don't take anything away from it, but there's nobody you know, it's not it it's not Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. You know, it's it's they're they're good. They're certainly they're, they're certainly doing really good work. But yeah, it's like I said, I just from a from a script perspective and look, there's a there's a sense in which and I would not for for all of my ranting and raving about Juwan the same things hold true of that, right? That if you're going to make a truly terrifying film, I feel like often you have to sacrifice some of the traditional elements of non-horror filmmaking, right? Yeah. Like, I don't need to have exceptional uh, characters. I don't need to have Lawrence of Arabia at the center of my horror film in order for it to be a, a, a great horror film. So... That's just kind of part and parcel of, of what we're working with. But it's it's really again, it's it's all really strong. I just wanna just wanna mm -hmm. say once again, we've talked about this a whole long time where we are splitting hairs with what is an exceptional horror film. Like, is it number five or number two or three? That's a conversation worth having and one that we will have I can't believe I'm saying this in more depth when we get <laughs> to <tournament. laughs> yeah. It's going to be time for the loving autopsy. Yeah, it's going to be time for the loving autopsy. But it, it is a great film. I'm really glad it's on here. I'm really grateful, uh, John, that you that you insisted on us watching this and, and putting it in the competition. My other is, and I won't elaborate on this uh, for, for fear of revealing spoilers, if anyone has, has seen a movie that I wrote called Darkness Rising, you'll know that I have a certain affinity for eye trauma. So I'm also giving this movie an A for eye trauma. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. It, I, that, that is worthy of note. And uh, yeah. especially from you, Vic. Well, all right. It's time to bring on the underdog in this competition, which is kind of funny because it's another European film. It's The Others, which is technically a Spanish film. 19, uh, no, it's 2001, 2001, I think. In any event, Nicole Kidman 
is playing a woman who uh, her husband has disappeared. He's at war or um, that's a little hazy what's going on, but she's raising the kids by herself in this uh, vast mansion and some new servants show up and offer to help and she takes them in and they reveal a lot of things that she does not want to cope with. I think this is a damn good movie. Like, again, in a vacuum, apart from genre and expectations of horror and what's scary and whatnot, this is definitely a B-movie. Not a B-movie as, like, in the traditional sense. Like, I'm giving this movie a grade of a B. And I think originality is a B. It definitely is copied. But um, at the time, I think it did some things that were not done to death. Chill Factor is going to be a D for me. I find it not scary except for, you know, maybe 30 seconds of the film. Antagonist is an F because, uh, spoiler alert, there really aren't any antagonists in the movie. That's generally an impediment to the effectiveness of a horror film. So, yeah, there's that. Quality of Kills is uh, D minus. We have a sort of an implied kill at some point in the film. But it's certainly not staged to be disturbing or scary. I think directing is an A. I think this is a very well-directed film. Uh, Script is an A and acting is an A. I think it's a first-rate movie. I think, again, if you just divorce it from the horror landscape, this is an extremely high-quality, worthwhile film. I just don't find it particularly meaningful in the haunted house genre. That's why I've seated it as low as it is. My other category, the judge's choice, is Veil Foo. And I'm going to give it an A on that. Because, yeah, there's an iconic image of this milky-eyed hag where Nicole Kidman's daughter should be. And it pops, it jumps, it's striking, it's memorable. It made an impact in our culture, so that's definitely the most horror-relevant contribution that this movie had. So, props to that. The others, Rich, what is your feeling about this film? It's interesting that you bring this movie up as an underdog. When we started this search, you know, the first thing that I think you go to when you're trying to figure out what movies you should be watching, thinking about, acknowledging, is to look online for other people who have done, like, similar searches or even just, like, lists of, like, the greatest, like, haunted house movies of all time. The others keep showing up, like, in the top five and sometimes the top ten of almost every list I think you look at online. And my memories of this movie were not that great. I remember just sort of a muted reaction to it. And so I felt like I must have been missing something. And so I was actually looking forward to go back and seeing this. Unfortunately, my memory served me pretty much correctly. I found Hmm. this to be a pretty middling film that just reeked of the late 90s, early 2000s Miramax era it felt like Americans trying to make a British film, which is funny because I know that you're, as you're pointing out, it's basically a Spanish film. 
Um, but that's still what it felt like. It felt like all of the the sort of pomp and circumstance of being in a manner like this um, was all just artifice that was being put on by an American studio. And Miramax did did produce this. But it just like it had, you know, if uh, I don't know what people remember from that era, whether it's Shakespeare in Love or The English Patient, there's something about the the set, the acting, the pacing, the lighting, uh, which the, the lighting, by the way, is a whole other problem in this movie. But <laughs> it, it, it all had the fingerprints of the, the Weinstein brothers um, removed from their current problems. And that didn't help me with it. Overall quality was a B. It was fine. Yeah, it was it was serviceable, but it felt like other movies that were that were were not horror. I'd say originality. This was a tough one to answer because I do remember the the plot and especially the plot twist feeling very fresh at the time. Uh, and so this is probably an incorrect grade, but I'm giving it a B. It felt like a lot of the movie was. I don't know. It, it's the kind of movie where really knowing the ending of it ruins it for you. And mm-hmm. the movie has no power once you know what the what the twist is. And to me, to go back and 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 see the movie, you know, knowing the twist and seeing how flat it plays without that left a pretty big bad taste in my mouth. And so while I don't know if that speaks specifically to originality, that that's where I went. B for originality. C plus for chill factor. This movie is not scary. There are some, there are a few scary moments. The milky eyed lady that you mentioned, who I will list for my antagonist is, is a little frightening until you sort of like learn more about her. I also gave antagonist a C plus quality of kills is, I gave it a, a D. What did you say? F D minus. D minus because yeah. no one the no oh okay well, I, I see it's, I see I, yeah I get it it's it's money yeah, okay yeah. let's let's call it let's call it a D directing I gave a B plus I thought it was good but again it felt more like a Weinstein movie than I was like oh like who is this guy Alejandra Amenabar who is this guy Alejandra Amenabar what else did he do <laughs> good good question actually he was uh he was kind of hot shit back then I'll just say that. He was for a minute, right? Oh, he did. Oh, he did Abra Los Ojos, the the what that was remade into Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky. Yep, that was also a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. But then after that, he didn't go anywhere, and he did something called Butterfly's Tongue. I don't know. All right, well, I don't want to get too off track here. I, uh, I sorry, um, I, I'm going to point out the sea inside. Uh, Javier Bardem was nominated for Best Actor for that, which he did after this. And not many people saw Agora, but I thought it was qu- quite a wonderful historical epic. Cool. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Go ahead. I, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I don't necessarily have anything bad to say about it. I just also, I don't know. It just, like everything else, it, went, it came a little flat for me. The script, I give a B plus. The dialogue, I find to be kind of ham-fisted. There's like there's there's like a there's a bit that that like literally made me roll my eyes where it pans something scary happens and it pans to the housekeepers and the housekeepers say, "Do you think we should tell her?" 
and someone else goes no she's not ready yet and i'm just like oh god like who like who talks like that it just like it just felt like they were even like prolonging like oh there's going to be a twist like it felt very stodgy the kids allergic to sunlight so that that's a part of the plot right which which is not a spoiler this is something you learned fairly early on is that Nicole Kidman keeps the entire house completely dark and she only illuminates the rooms with lanterns. Now, you wouldn't know that from the lighting and the cinematography in this movie because things inexplicably explode into light every time Nicole Kidman walks into a room with a hurricane lantern in a single flame. <laughs> but the kids, the, the reason why she's doing this is because her children are allergic to sunlight. And... Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but this never really, it never, that never really pays off, right? There's never a reason. And I know that we can't totally spoil the ending of it, but why? Like, why was that a concern? Yeah, we can't tell you that. <laughs> okay. But is, but is, but is there a good reason? Am I just misremembering this? No, it all makes sense. This is an extremely well-crafted script, I would say. And everything does okay. pay off and make sense, at least on some level. Okay, well, maybe I missed some important in detail. The acting, the acting, I give it, I'd say I'd give it an A. Like, I thought it was good. Like, Nicole Kidman was good. The kids are pretty, the, the kids are fairly, like, mature, and I buy the emotions that are coming from them. The help is, like, a classic, feels like a classic British cast. And for the other, I am going to give it a, I'm going to give it a sixth sense view. View? Foo. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that like this movie has a twist it is very of the era where it feels like you got to a certain point in the movie and then it's like we're going to turn the tables on on you and it turns out that the story is something completely different than what you thought but unlike the sixth sense to me it didn't have the movie to back it up and once you know the twist at the end the rest of the parts didn't necessarily add up to much that reminds me, where are we going to fit in the Sixth Sense in this whole competition? Hmm. Nowhere, because the Sixth Sense is not a horror movie. Oh, no. That is not true, Vic. That is not true. Well, uh, well done, Rich. Uh, it's your turn, Vic. Uh, let's, uh, let's go through your assessment of this movie. All right. I want to start off by saying this is a hard movie for me to talk about. Because I... Watched so I saw this in the movie theater when it first came out. I really remember I took my girlfriend to the airport. I came back from the airport smoking a bunch of cigarettes because she thought I had quit smoking. Uh, so I remember seeing this initially very strongly. I probably didn't, I don't think I watched it again. I may have seen some bits of it here and there, but I did not watch it again until I had been in quarantine with my two kids. Uh, for <laughs> three weeks <laughs> and not just in quarantine but during the April showers time period that we get here in Southern California so we're not just in the house we're in the house and it's raining and you can't really go outside so I have access to plenty of sunlight but that feeling we also have a much smaller fucking house than Nicole Kidman had so again, I I don't I I don't want to give anything away, and and it's so I have to dance very delicately around this. I feel like I'm grading this movie on a curve, 
because I'm in a I'm in a position where it affected me much more strongly than it probably would at almost any other time. You related um, to her. I well, this is what I what I thought of is when Nicole Kim and she gives the whole speech where she's like, look, there's a piano. Don't let him touch the fucking piano. Okay. You know what the piano does? <laughs> it gives me a headache. We like silence in this house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, fucking A. Of course you do. So overall quality, I, I give it a B plus. Originality, I'm, I, I have B plus down. I don't know quite how I feel about that. Again, it's one of those ones that's hard to talk about without giving too much away. But I, I there, there is a, there is a, a, I don't know. There's something to it that I like that can, that, that sort of connects with me and feels like a different perspective on the cliches that we've seen in the past. The chill factor, I actually give it a B. I kind of liked. There's so much stuff about. There's. There's somebody in the house. There's somebody in this room. There's somebody over there. I can hear them that felt like, again, sort of a, a weird spin on the the sort of traditional haunted house scares. It doesn't have any jump scares, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of tension from this sense that there was something else in the house. A lot of that comes through in the acting. I've just jumped down and mentioned that I, I'm giving the acting an A. I really liked all the acting. Uh, you're right. Like British people, British people are just awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'll give a particular call out to Mrs. Mills, who was played by Fiona Flanagan. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. of course, because of course she was played by Fiona Flanagan. But I thought she an was, Oscar thought, nominee in her own right, I believe. Is she? Is she really? What I for? Think so. Do you know? Uh, yeah. Give me a minute. Keep talking, and I'll tell you. All right. Actually, I, I actually I think I pronounced it wrong. Uh, uh, Fianula. Sure. It's not Fiona. Fianula Flanagan. Anyways, I, she I, won a Saturn Award for this movie. Uh, yeah. Again, I I I thought she was very good. I understand. Uh, so so chill factor B acting A antagonist. See again. I have some thoughts and feelings about it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that before really getting into it. Quality of kills, D, pretty much the same as you guys feel about it. Directing, I really I kind of give it an A minus. There is a scene when Christopher Christopher Eccleston shows up as her husband. thought to be a deceased husband. Exactly. That scene really pulls me out of the movie, and I feel like it's it it doesn't fit. That sort of impacts the the script as well, which I gave a B a B plus to. Rich, I mean, you're right that revisiting it when the when you know what the you know when when the jack in the box is going to pop out, it, it, that that sort of lessens a lot of the suspense. But I was still intrigued by the characters and the dilemma and a lot of the stuff that, that was going on in it. The actors really sell it. And yeah, I'm, I, 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 I just can't stress enough. I'm, I'm locked in a 1250 square foot house with two kids and <laughs> it's, and have been for three weeks, which is like a week longer than she was. It's maddening. I do like, I'm glad you, you brought up, I just wanted to, to uh, touch on real quick the the piano set piece 
of this movie, which actually is one of the things I think I like the best about it, is that, you know, it sounds like it's a little fresher in your mind, but it's essentially that she has a piano that's in her room, and then occasionally when she's out of the room, like, the, the piano plays on its own, and this happens in the middle of the night, and this happens at, you know, at times when she's not wanting it to, and she thinks the kids are doing it, but then it turns out the kids aren't doing it. And I actually found that particular mini drama pretty compelling and it also you know one another trope of this genre is is the doors that open and close like i don't know that there's a single haunted house movie on this list where at some point a door opens or where um or where this doesn't happen that a door opens or closes on its own and here you have a scene where she's uh, struggling to get into the room and the door, you know, is, is, is at some point free and at some point the door is being forced closed. Like, I just feel like there's a beat in here where it plays well with some dynamics that you see in the changeling, um, with the piano or, you know, or, or the doors. And I actually think they handle it well and create an interesting, like back and forth where it's almost like it's playing with the genre a little bit in a way that I appreciated. And also that they did a lot with a little. It's an empty room with a piano and a door. And I thought that they stretched out for a fair amount of time in a way that was compelling. I also like there's a scene where she thinks that there's someone in like a junk room where everything's covered in sheets. Again, kind of a trope of the genre. But I thought in terms of the, the chill factor, I found that to be a, a creepy scene. Like I found it to be a little alarming. And so much of it is based on your assumptions going into a movie like this and what you sort of expect out of it. I would also just say, I mean, look, like it's, uh, Rich, I 100% get what you're saying about the the Weinstein period movie feeling, like the vibe of those sorts of things. I kind of like those movies. I'm I'm a I'm a defender of the English Patient and yeah, some of those and some of those other films. So I. Even though there's an artifice that I think is associated with it, I think it works for me. Again, I I like this movie. It's a good movie, but again, I'm I'm also in a really weird spot to be asked <laughs> to to explain my my thoughts and feelings on it. Well, I am curious, Vic. When you go to your junk room and pull the sheets off of your extra statues, how do you feel? <laughs> I actually use a uh, plastic drop cloths instead of sheets and I feel good about it. It's my garage and that's really, that's my, that's my me time. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I give it my other is just an, is an A for quarantine realism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does hit close to home right now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would just say like objectively, you know, genre aside, this is the best movie that we've eliminated so far. Like, this is a legitimately good movie. And when you compare it to Hausu or 1408 or Let's Scare Jessica to Death or Insidious, I, I think this is, you know, just a, a su- superior film. Whether it's scarier or not, like, that's that's definitely up for debate, but... It, it it's doomed. It's not going to advance clearly, but I'm not going to shit on this movie in any way. I think it's a solid movie, and I think it has a lot to think about. It's a very artful and elegant film, and I think it has a, a lot of value 
in the haunted house milieu, if that's what you're into. It's not what I look for, but, you know, I'm sort of a hardcore horror guy. So that's why I'm going to eliminate it. And I think, are we all agreed that it's... uh, it is going to lose this this matchup, and the the victor is going to be terrified. Weigh in, guys. I mean, I mean, I just I just want to say for the record, I am voting terrified. And just as I felt when I saw this movie when it first came out, any day of the week I would watch Houseu or Let's Scare Jessica to Death or Insidious. I don't know about fourteen oh eight, but <laughs> I would watch any of those movies again before I watch the others again. This movie was a fucking snooze. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm also going to vote for Terrified, but I, I will just say, I think if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the others, and we've twisted ourselves into pretzels to not get into spoilers, and now it's not going to be on the podcast again, so, you know, we won't have a chance to talk about it in, in a lot of those terms. It is worth a watch. If you haven't seen it, Seek it out. It's a it, it, it's a good film, and it will inform, I think, some of your some of your other opinions about haunted house films. It's a it's it's worth looking for. Yeah. But I, yes, but it but it loses. It loses to terrified. Yeah, yeah for I mean, sure. That's it's a walkover by our criteria. But I mean, I will disagree with Rich in the sense that, like, I think that this this is a. A, a genuinely good movie and I would never tell anyone not to watch it. And I think it's no, and I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. I'm just saying it's less interesting to me. Fair enough. All right, gentlemen, I think we've been at this long enough. We should probably call it a night. I'm definitely looking forward to our next bracket. It's, it's getting more and more interesting because we're going to, from here on out, we're going to be matching up, more evenly matched films and that like not that this has been devoid of of uh argument but things are going to start getting spicy gentlemen because we're starting to get into movies that it's a coin toss you know what it's a it's very subjective what is the better film and i for one am really looking forward to that me too not me i i think this is gonna be awful I don't remember why I subjected myself to this, but no, uh, I, John, I, I agree a hundred percent. I'm really excited about the movies we have coming up and I can't wait to, uh, to, to yell horrible profanities at both of you. I think that's inevitable, Vic. Mm-hmm. Inevitable. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you, see you next time on March Madman. Adios. Good night, everybody. Uh, yeah. I'm